You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we enter the penultimate movie recap of our Star Wars series. Yes, it's not Star Wars Month, it's not Star Wars 2 Months, it's Star Wars Millennium apparently because we've been doing this for a long bloody time. We've done the prequels, we've done the originals. We've done the episodic ones that, remember we did them? Yeah, I think we did. So now we're into the sequel trilogy, the Disney <laughs> movies. And the excitement kind of starts here and keeps oh. going down a little bit more because that's the reaction to most of these movies so far. We're here for Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, 2015's biggest movie, the most successful movie in the history of the North American box office. And a movie that really is just another movie, and we're going to try and tell you all about that here. Not that you didn't already know that, but we are here, and this is how we feel. My name is Ben! <laughs> That's, That's so simple, but so effective. <laughs> um, and my name is Colin, and do you have a garbage chute, trash compactor? Oh, wait, sorry, that's my review for The Last Jedi. Um, My name is Colin, and who talks first? Do you talk first? Do I talk first? <laughs> I was thinking of using that one. Um, also, um, I do like that Wookiee, but I thought, you know, that yeah. any, any recap we do with a person with my name in it, it kind of just sells itself, right? You didn't want to go with, my name is Ben, and where's my boyfriend? <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah, he's, he's not here today, so, yeah, it wouldn't be funny if I heard about that. <laughs> Uh, here we are, The Force Awakens. Now, um, we spent a good 20 hours defending the prequels. We <laughs> spent another 18 hours defending... The, well, we didn't need to defend the originals. talking about our love for the originals. We talked about Solo and Rogue One. They were okay. Uh, and here we are talking about The Force Awakens, A New Hope 2.0. Now, this is obviously a lot fresher in our minds than some of these other ones because we've all been here, and most people, I'm sure, listening to this have experienced... All the fanfare and the fun around sort of the, you know, at least Eastern Return of the Jedi, uh, Return of the Jedi, The Last Jedi, when they were <laughs> released. And really, this was the first ever Star Wars movie that we kind of did an episode on back in our Survivor Oz days. Noah and I had gone and seen it and we were just talking about it so much. We were like, fuck it, we need to do an episode on this. I think you and Cable got very angry at us that we went and did something <laughs> without you. So, <laughs> sorry about that. But, um, yeah, I'm... Uh, I think I mentioned last week about how I'm kind of excited to talk about this. I'm also a bit not. Like, it's it's just the the indifferent trilogy because this is the good one out of the two Disney ones we've seen too far. And I wouldn't go out on a limb to say that this deserves the love that a lot of people give this because I think this, is, personally, is a it's an okay movie. This is like Rogue One to me. It's, it's fine. It's mm. It does the job, but it's just, it's got a lot of problems, which I think a lot of people overlook. And it's also got some pretty good stuff, which people do look at. So yeah, general thoughts on The Force Awakens. Uh, I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I haven't had a chance to yet. Uh, I still haven't gotten You've over it four, four years, years ago. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but also, I mean, this is, it's, it's an interesting movie because I think there are so many things that are really, really good about it, and then so many things that just don't... There's nothing that's, like, downright bad. It's just there's things that don't work here, which the same thing could be said about the prequels. I said a lot of the same things about Return of the Jedi. Um, The lack of originality is what we're going to be picking on the most, but outside of that, I feel like the issues in this movie are kind of superficial, uh, and I don't think that it really holds up as well a couple years later, 
you know, as it did maybe in 2015. But there's still something that's just so fun about this movie, and I think it's something that gets better every time you see it. Uh, it definitely doesn't get more original every time you see it, but even with the originality stuff, like I, I, I feel like outside of the climax, which is just way too a new hope, like there is some really decent semi-original stuff in this movie that I'm kind of excited to talk about. Uh, and then also just, you know, theories as to what they could have done to do it better. Cause I think there's a huge section of this movie that, you know, uh, often gets ignored that there was a very obvious solution to on how you could have improved the movie. So, so much stuff to talk about today. Where are we going to start? The beginning. <laughs> oh, a long time ago. <laughs> I think also to, I agree with you with pretty much what you said there. And also, to continue on the bashing of the last jedi knowing the potential and the excitement we had after this of where this was going to go and thinking about you know oh wow we're going to find this out and this and this blah 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 to get the last jedi and basically shit over the majority of things that are raised in this movie so that is a, a a bit of a detractor for me now but again i've said it plenty of times that the last jedi makes this movie better as well mm-hmm. so yeah and i think i found rewatching it this time cuz it's probably the fifth time I've seen it, sixth time I've seen it, and, like, watching it with Mallory, who, I mean, she enjoyed it. So, and I think, kind of, it's it's a thing that we also got to acknowledge has, not that there's never not been Star Wars fans, but obviously now the newer generations have, this is their trilogy, so, like, they're finding new mm-hmm. things to love about Star Wars and really appreciating it, too. So, there's there's lots to appreciate about the fact that we've got this and everything along those lines. Um, before we talk about, I guess, some of the history around how this all came about. Uh, I mean, our history is really simple. I mean, this is something that is only a few years old, of course. Um, I saw it midnight. This is the first ever time I ever saw a midnight screening of a movie. And I saw it with Noah. Hello, Noah, if you're listening. And I was working at a newspaper in Hobart at the time, so I even pushed my editor to make sure that we did a big story on the fact that, hey, Star Wars is returning. So I went and got a, a photo at a, like a comic book store with some people dressed up in Star Wars clothes. And I remember going to the midnight screening and it was just absolutely packed. Like, we have three cinemas in Hobart and they only were doing this at the Hobart cinema, the main one. Like, when I used to talk about how episode one, we only had one cinema at the time. It's that one. And I didn't think I expected there to be as many people as there was. It was, you know, lines outside the cinema. We had to wait, basically, to get in. And this was at, you know, 10.30, basically an hour and a half before Mm -hmm. the first screening. And I think, actually, in all fairness, we we missed out on the midnight one because there was about five midnight ones, but that all sold out. So I think we got the 12.15 one or something like that. So they staggered them across the way. And just the excitement, the build-up, lining up for it all. I remember, like... No, I was like, go get the popcorn now. And I'm like, dude, it's like an hour. We'll eat it all. I was like, no, but we need to get the popcorn now. So I had to like go and <laughs> wait in another line for another 45 minutes. And then Noah's in the front. I'm like, shit, I'm going to miss out. And then I, you know, got in and just that excitement as well um, of when the opening credits come up. Cause like everyone clapped. Like as soon as you see the Star mm-hmm. Wars, everyone clapped. And obviously the significant death in this movie, there was just gasps in the cinema uh, and just things like that. So to be able to experience all that was, was really, really fun. And, yeah, I remember that the car drive home uh, back with Noah afterwards just not, you know, shutting up about this. I mean, you, you get home like 3 o'clock in the morning, whatever it was, and probably stayed up for another two hours just talking about it, go to bed for a few hours, wake up, like, hey, we need to record this. We, we've got to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went and, yeah, saw it another two times. So this was the first movie I think I'd ever seen, well, since the day after tomorrow, three times at the cinema. So, um, yeah, and it's that's 
where I am with this movie. I think I've seen it once, uh, <laughs> once or twice since it's been at the cinemas. I obviously watched it before Last Jedi, and I might have watched it on a plane, I think, kind of around somewhere as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's fun to be able to experience a lot of these things, which uh, I was never able to experience. Like, I was too young for the prequels, as in, like, my parents were going to let me go and see a midnight movie, uh, and obviously mm-hmm. wasn't born for the original trilogy. So, yeah, that's, I guess, my brief history of The Force Awakens. I mean, I, like any Star Wars movie, I was just counting down the minutes until this came out. Uh, and we had reserved seating. I mean, there's... Uh, I can't even count, probably half a dozen different theaters in Winnipeg, and each one was carrying it on multiple screens. Uh, the one that uh, we went to, we had, like, reserved seating, so you didn't have to get there an hour and a half ahead of time. And yet, I specifically remember us getting there an hour and a half ahead of time, just like, you know, we want to be there, we want to experience the whole thing, we want to see everybody dressed in costumes, we want to, you know, wait for it and get excited, because I think part of that was just because that's what we did when the special editions came out, when the prequels came out, at that point you had to get there early and make sure you got a good seat and then the excitement of just waiting. Uh, and uh, we had a big crew that went. It was you know, uh, myself, my brother, who's seen all the Star Wars movies with me, um, my wife, Jamie, uh, and my four nephews. And this was their first chance to see a Star Wars movie on a big screen. And uh, I remember I, I was off. I think I took that day off from work. <laughs> it was like it wasn't even a se- it was a 7 o'clock showing. But... Uh, uh, I still took the day off work because I'm like, oh, I got to make sure I got everything ready. And we had like a massive snowstorm that day. So I drove down to pick up my nephews at maybe like 3.30 in the afternoon. And then I had to go get Jamie from work. And then we were going to go get my brother. And then we were going to meet at the theater. Uh, and I remember getting stuck pulling out of my nephew's driveway. And I'm like shoveling snow in front of the car. And I'm not the type of person who ever really gets impatient. Like like almost never. Uh, and my nephews were like, oh, we're going to miss the movie. And this is, again, 3.30, 3.45, 4 in the afternoon, three hours ahead of time, and I'm trying to get us unstuck. Oh, we don't get movie. We're going to miss the movie. I'm like, stop it already. <laughs> it's like, you're stressing me out. <laughs> so I was very high strung. I'm like, got to get to the movie, got to get to the movie. Um, but it was, it's, it's still the same experience, you know. I wasn't really sure going to this. I knew I was excited. I wanted to see what they would do with the new Star Wars movie. I thought the trailers were great. And then when those credits roll, it's like, even if you don't have that level of excitement that you did for episodes one, two, and three, you know, as soon as a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away comes up and you see that the first time you see something new, like the words coming, like the the opening crawl, it's just, you freak out all over again. And I think that was such a cool experience to have a new trilogy over a decade after I thought this was over to have George Lucas removed from it, to have Disney involved, to be a little bit skeptical about, you know, what they might do and to still have that same level of excitement. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And, it's always it always that experience of seeing a Star Wars movie in the cinema is that because yeah you've ne- you don't know anything you're in the same position as everyone and this, you know it's not like you're gonna watch you know you're gonna watch this movie like a hundred times in the next twelve months or whatever it is but yeah this is the very first time and it was an exciting point that year of 2015 as well because obviously we do Double Seven download now via iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher and you know what a month prior to this we had Spectre 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 so like it was kind of very exciting time for everything and 2015 in general I mean we'd had like Jurassic World as well had kind of come back and it was very nostalgic that year and obviously we're going to talk a little bit about the nostalgia factor of this film but you obviously mentioned Disney um I remember the day that I woke up to the news that Disney had bought Star Wars and Mm -hmm. that was in I think was it like June or July it was like mid-year and I I just had to keep I swear to god I checked like five times if it was April the first (laughs) 
because I just did not believe it at all. I just could not believe this. And I'm like, this just sounds so dumb. Like, this is before Disney owned everything. I realized they'd owned Marvel at that point, but that was kind of like one thing that they owned at that point. So, okay, fair enough. So, like, I just, I just couldn't fathom it because you see this news that Disney has bought Star Wars and they're planning a new trilogy. I just, I just triple take, I quadruple take. I'm like, what is going on here? And then kind of you read everything and you sort of go, oh, okay, like that, do we need, like, oh. But then you start to go, Okay, this could be cool. Like, you're sort of like, you know, you've always wondered what happened after Return of the Jedi because I'd never read books. Like, I'd never read any of the stories after <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Like, I'd read some summaries online about this is what happens to Luke, this is what happens to Leia. Because you'd always, you always think about those things. It was always like, I used to always think about what happened after Jurassic Park and all those sort of things. So, it was kind of an excitement there. And there's, as you said, sort of skepticism at the same time. Because it really was, it was huge news. It was like breaking news at the time that George Lucas sold mm-hmm. it for like $4 billion. And here is the House of Mouse about to take over this, <laughs> you know, the most iconic franchise in pop culture. So, I mean, do you remember when this news was announced? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading it for the first time and it was, it was, it was kind of like you described. It's like a double take. Like you read it like this can't be real. And then you start looking other places online because you're like, you're seeing it on IMDb, but like, well, maybe this is maybe this is you know some type of hoax, and you just don't believe it would ever happen because George Lucas was like perfectly content to say I'm done with this, but then you forget he's always been a master of surprising the audience. Like, I think we barely even touched on it, but you look at the um, the the DVD releases. Everybody said for so long, are we ever going to get DVDs for uh, the the Star Wars movies and VHS? You know, was uh, they had the Phantom Menace on VHS, and other movies being released on DVD, and he's like, "Well, we're probably just going to wait till we can release all of them." And he actually would say this enough to convince people they would wait until the entire saga, episode one through six, was done before they released any of these. And then all of a sudden, one day, Phantom Menace is coming out on DVD, and then it was the same thing. Well, now we're going to have to wait for the rest of the movies. Like, it's coming out next month, and it was like you know, two thousand and four or something like that. So. I think I, I I wasn't really ever 100% convinced this would happen. But my first thought when I saw, you know, there's a new trilogy, because at that point, this is before the deal closed and before it was ever announced who was involved in the movie. They just said, George Lucas is working on a script. They they It was like same day. They've got the, the writer of Toy Story 3, Michael Arndt and Little Miss Sunshine or whatever, uh, you know, doing the script with them. George Lucas is going to be producing these, but not directing. He's working on the stories. But this is really about handing it off to the next generation filmmakers. And I think the thing I wanted most was some involvement from George Lucas because you wanted that consistency. So that when the deal eventually did close and suddenly it looked like, okay, they're not going to be using much of George Lucas's material. Um, he was supposed to be like kind of a creative consultant. They're kind of severing ties. He himself saying, I really have nothing to do with these movies, but I wish them the best. Uh, and then I started to get worried. I'm like, is there anybody out there who's really going to understand? Because it's not just, I need to write a good Star Wars movie. There has to be a formula. It has to feel a certain way. It has to look a certain way. You have to present environments and characters. It has to have a retro feel, but still feel like advancements in the special effects. The characters all have to be like, it's so specific, the Star Wars formula. And I don't think I was ever convinced somebody would get it right until they did have J.J. Abrams' name attached. 
Uh, and obviously, like I, you know, we both are fans of Lost. I'm a huge fan of Alias, the Mission Impossible movies. You know, even the Star Trek movies. I really like what J.J. Abrams did with it. Um, but J.J. Abrams have been mentioned for so long about being the guy who, you know, oh, would you do a Star Wars movie? He said, no, I'm too big of a fan to ever do that. So when it was announced he was signing on, believe it or not, the thing that I thought most about was a movie he made called Super 8, uh, which was sort of a throwback to uh, movies like E.T., uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It was meant to be a tribute to Spielberg. And he just nailed that formula so well, even though the movie itself was okay. He got the formula, the look, the feel of it, so that it felt exactly like Close Encounters of the Third Kind or E.T. or Poltergeist or all those you know, early 80s Spielberg movies. And I'm like, okay, I have more faith in this movie. Like, You've got the right people involved in it. One way or the other, whether you, you have stories or not, I think that we're at least in good hands. And I think also a lot of the conversation around this new period of Star Wars as well. I mean, Kathleen Kennedy basically became the president of Lucasfilm on mm-hmm. this getting bought out by Disney. And, you know, I think it'd be interesting to talk about over the next two weeks, Kathleen Kennedy's involvement and everything along those lines. Because she often does get a lot of the ire from the fans and some may be warranted, some may be not. We can we can work that along the way. But I think the interesting thing about Kathleen Kennedy is maybe a lot of people weren't that familiar with the fact that she's been involved in big blockbusters for a long time yeah. before she's involved. So she was a producer on Jurassic Park and The Lost World. She's involved in E.T., I believe, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, she's been around for a long time involved in some mm-hmm. very, very big movies. So it's not like she came into this completely blind. She's, I think, friends with Steven Spielberg, or was she friends with George Lucas or both? Like, she kind of would work well, with Spielberg a lot, but... Yeah, like, Spielberg's producer uh frank marshall was married to kathleen kennedy and she sort of started to make her way up through working with him and produced a lot of movies with him and of course the indiana jones movies she had that involvement with george lucas so it 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 was hand-picked like george lucas basically said i'm turning over my company the company is owned by disney but like People also don't understand Lucasfilm is its own company. They produce the movies. It's just like Eon Productions, right? Like, okay, MGM, they have the distribution rights, right, to James Bond. But Eon Productions, they have the final say on what the movie is. Mm -hmm. Uh, And George Lucas said, I am handing the entire company over to her because she's the person I trust the most to run it. And when you look at her filmography, I mean, and you also just consider the amount of people that she's worked with, you know, she has the right influence. And I, I don't, I don't know if I really blame her for a lot of the things. Even though I'm critical of of quite a few things that have gone on with the Disney films, because she's in a different position. I mean, George Lucas, even as an executive producer or a producer, people have always said George Lucas was like an old school producer. He just he was so powerful that he could make a movie the way he wanted to do it. Whereas all other producers are limited and they're, they have the studio saying, okay, this is my input. We need a little bit of this. If you want us to release your movie, if you want us to put up the money, then you're going to need to, you know, give us this and this and this. And George Lucas never had that just because he was that, he was that good of a businessman. He wrote the right deals. He gave himself complete creative control and he was powerful enough that, that these people would listen to him as much influence as Kathleen Kennedy has. She's in a position where Disney owns the company, and so a lot of the, I think, mistakes we're seeing in Star Wars, it's it's too many cooks in the kitchen. I believe that if George Lucas had just simply turned Lucasfilm over to her, uh, then maybe we would have gotten you know uh, higher quality movies out of the sequel trilogy. 
And I think that's a very good point because we're going to have a lot of criticism next week with The Last Jedi and a lot of that will be directed at Ryan Johnson and kind of how that took a turn and how he deliberately seemed to want to just completely, as he said, subvert expectations, kind of what you are to expect. And I think... You know, it's we've we've constantly said with the sequel trilogy that what's unique about it is we don't know where this was going to go. You know, this isn't the prequels. We don't know where we're going to get to the point where we're going to get Darth Vader's origin story, and then we know what's going to happen because you've got to basically starting positions for Episode Four. This is completely new. They've got a completely open spectrum for this. They've they've all but discarded the previous material that was considered canon. They've pushed that aside. Said, hey, this is now called Star Wars Legends, and we're going to mm-hmm. create our own series. And I think. To me, what it seems, a lot of the issues also come with that too, kind of going to your point of too many cooks in the kitchen, is that it seems like there's no clear outline from episode seven, eight, and nine. Like, yeah. to me, George Lucas would sit down and go, cool, episode one, two, and three, this is what's going to happen. Obviously, and he, he did. did. <laughs> and he did. And I mean, I guess to a certain extent, there was that in the original trilogy to a point, and we kind of talked a lot about that through those movies. But I think kind of to me that's where I personally think a lot of issues come because it doesn't seem like there is that direction. And that's where mm-hmm. I'm hoping that the Rise of Skywalker can tie enough together that it felt that way. So, yeah. um, and I think kind of this movie that we're going to talk about obviously has a lot of things, as I said before, that really get that motor running and really kind of think, yeah, okay then, bring on episode eight. Like I want to know. And I actually watched a review um, from when this was just released, just before we started recording this. And this guy was just pumped up, so excited, like, wow, I can't wait for the next movie when we're going to find out about Ray and we're going to see Poe and Finn's relationship and just, like, they're just talking about all that. But that, that's legitimately how we were feeling in 2015. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what we're going to say critical of this movie or anything along those lines, the, the and here I'm going to use a bloody word again, the hope that Star Wars <laughs> fans had for this franchise at this point was amazing. And we were so pumped up and excited because the world was the oyster at that point. Mm-hmm. And what makes the most sense what you said is that there wasn't a clear outline from the beginning. And I think they did a good job of teasing certain things that maybe they had a slight idea they were going with, but most of it's changed since then. And, you know, the fact is we, we sort of covered what was there from the beginning with the original trilogy and what wasn't, or even the prequels. And even George Lucas has said, you know, you make up a lot of this stuff up as you go along. Um, He didn't necessarily have everything in mind at the point that A New Hope came out of what would eventually come, but he knew where the story needed to go. And the same thing with the prequels. If anything, he kind of had to work backwards with the prequels because he knew how the story ended. He's just like, well, how am I going to get here? With these, this movie plays like they had the endgame in mind. And then you get to The Last Jedi and so many things changed you realize they had no clue or they just ditched it i honestly believe they had no clue because uh, even jj abrams involvement you know it, they said well he's going to be directing the first one we're going to have ryan johnson do the second we're going to have colin trevor do the third but they said jj abrams will executive produce all these jj abrams had no involvement in the last jedi at all uh, i think he still gets credited as an executive producer or something like that but like he himself and like oh i that was ryan johnson's movie completely i i don't have a say in what happens or any of that uh, and when they hired Ryan Johnson, even, it was supposed to be for him to co-write Episode Nine. They wanted that continuity. And for whatever reason, like every step of the way, they just keep saying, you know, J.J. Abrams, we're going to help you. Or we're going to have you help so that we can bridge the gap into Episode Eight and Nine. And then they get cold feet and just say, well, Ryan, do whatever you want. But, Ryan, we want you to co-write Episode Nine. 
Uh, but no, we're just going to give that to Colin Trevorrow now. And now we're going to take it away from Colin Trevorrow and JJ, you got to clean up the mess. So you don't have clear storytelling. Um, and that is something that, that George Lucas did have. And, you know, some of his ideas have been put online and, you know, people are saying, oh, that's going too far. But like, those are minor parts of the story. Really, a lot of this goes back to before Return of the Jedi even came out. I, I did a lot of digging when uh, they finally announced Episode Seven was happening because George Lucas had denied it for years and said, you know, I made some comments saying maybe in Episode Seven, Eight, Nine will happen, but I never took it seriously. Again, he's the master of surprising the audience and fooling them into thinking something won't happen when it will. Uh, and it was just like everybody knew. Well, Seven, Eight, Nine were never really an idea. It was just, yeah, maybe I could do that one day. But then I found this interview uh, with George Lucas from 1983 that somebody dug up right around the time that they announced these, where it's like, hey, he actually did have an idea all along, and there's probably a couple of pages of him describing what Episode 7, 8, and 9 would be. A lot about Luke and having to actually, being a, a kid, and now he's a grown man, but having never actually been trained to evolve into a Jedi, you know, what is that like? And just sort of minor ideas, but like those were all floating around from the beginning. So, well, I can't really, without having really read the script, you know, I know some of the stuff that George Lucas had in mind. I think some of some of it they probably should have found a way to use. Some of it they did. You know, we'll, we'll cover what things actually survive from that still. But they, they should have at least taken the lead of know where you're going to end. Having said that, what are they going to do when they were struggling with the script for so long, they, they couldn't delay filming. They knew that the trilogy was going to come in 2015. Their original plan was to have it over 18 months. So Last Jedi was supposed to be only a year and a half later. And then we would have had Rise of Skywalker, you know, a year ago today. Mm. Uh, but they had to push things back. So they're like, well, we're going to push back the sequels, but we're not pushing back this movie. So, yeah, it's difficult to judge because, you know, their hands are tied. You don't want to make people wait an extra year, two years for a movie when you've paid $4 billion for it. Um, but it, maybe work hard on where you want it to go before you start. One thing I'll quickly add, and we can sort of move into the the beginning of this, is obviously with the casting, as soon as you hear there's going to be a oh, trilogy, yeah. what's the first thing you're thinking of? Like, uh, you know, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, and Carrie Fisher are going to return. And mm-hmm. I don't think it took very long until we got that confirmation. There was that iconic photo, wasn't there? I think of the first script reading uh, of everybody mm-hmm. in that room, and you, you saw, you know, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, and Harrison Ford. And, and that's what the majority of the fans are. Wow, this is great. And then sort of the introduction of, of these new characters, and, and I'll be completely honest with you, I'd, I'd never heard of Adam Driver, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, or Oscar Isaac before this movie. Never heard of them. So to me, I was, you know, you didn't really want to have these big A-listers because, again, at the end of the day, these people are going to become household names just by being... They were household names the day they were announced as being yeah. major characters in The Force Awakens. You go back to what we talked about in the prequels. I mean, yeah, Liam Neeson was a pretty big name back then, but, I mean, Ewan McGregor wasn't really a huge name back in 1999. Mm-hmm. He'd done spotting and kind of there. Even Natalie Portman wasn't that big of a name in 1999, yeah. you know. So, kind of, you'd, you'd had these people with a bit of experience. So, that's that's, I think, the casting of this film was done well. And, look... No matter what we're going to say about these films, I don't think we can discredit any of the acting in in these films. Um, I think that they've they had really good choices with the actors. And, you know, someone like Andy Serkis obviously being involved, Lupita Nyong'o as well, even though a character's kind of a pain in the ass, but whatever. Um, and like, yeah, so like I think to have that as well, and obviously Anthony Daniels coming back, Peter Mayhew coming back. 
you know, we we appreciated that mix, I think, and that this purely wasn't only going to be about our beloved three. Still, hashtag mm-hmm. wasted Lando, but we'll get to that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, any thoughts on, on the casting and kind of that excitement when oh, you yeah. first heard that the original three were going to be coming back? Like, honestly, if you had said... We don't have Harrison Ford. We don't have Carrie Fisher. I'm like, I can live with that. If you had said we don't have Mark Hamill, like, I would have died. Because um, Luke is my all-time favorite movie character. And I, I just, I feel like Mark Hamill grew so much as an actor throughout those three movies. And I just, I had in my head what he could do with a really great role of being the Obi-Wan of a new trilogy. Uh, and funny enough, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, I mean... All three of the main original actors did meet with George Lucas. Um, in fact, uh, I think it was Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher who told the story that it was before the sale was even announced to Disney. Like, we're talking a couple months before. George Lucas went out for lunch with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, and they just thought, oh, he's just, you know, you know, catching up with us. If you imagine George Lucas' social life, who wants to go out for lunch, guys? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why they thought that was something he would do, but they would like to go to Applebee's. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I guarantee George Lucas is eating at Applebee's right now. <laughs> well, there was that famous picture of him in Australia. I think we've talked about this before a few years ago. He was in Adelaide for some... Con- I don't think it was even a convention. It was just some appearance. Like, he was a guest speaker that had flown him out. And somebody actually just snapped a photo of him. He was just in, like, a shopping centre food court, like the mm-hmm. most basic shopping centre, and he was just sitting there, like, reading the newspaper. Somebody took a photo of him, and yeah. then they apparently went up to him and was like, oh, excuse me, you George Lucas? And he's like, yes, I am. And they're like, oh, I love Star Wars. Can I have a photo? And they're like, absolutely, and just had a conversation and left. And there was no fanfare. He was just sitting in a shopping centre just like a regular person. I mean, I've I've read several George Lucas biographies. I've read almost every interview he's ever done, seen almost every other interview he's done. And I actually, for years, was very defensive when people would criticize George Lucas because they would make it personal without realizing that, like, he's the exact opposite. Like, I've said it so many times. Everybody's accusation was, oh, he's just money hungry and, you know, uh, he's a greedy businessman. That's why he just keeps producing Star Wars. And uh, when people would say that, I'd say, how is that different from Marvel producing the same comic book for 50 years straight? And now we see, you know, Disney doing the same thing. I would make the same argument with Disney. But, like, George Lucas really is. Like, if you know anything about him, he's probably one of the coolest, most humble human beings out there. Hands down, the richest man in Hollywood for decades. Uh, Like, nobody could touch him. And that's when he wasn't even making movies, okay? (laughs) Um, Brilliant businessman. But... You will say, oh, yeah, he has Skywalker Ranch, this incredible, huge property. If you've actually seen his house on Skywalker Ranch, it's a very modest-sized house. I mean, it looks like what you'd see in a middle-class neighborhood for a family of five. Uh, It looks like something that, you know, my family would fit in. But he bought this massive land and said, well, I'm going to run my businesses over there so I don't have to commute very far and I could still raise my kids. You know, he waited until his kids were in school before he even started Star Wars again. He's like, I want to be a father first. Everybody has said that like he wore the same T-shirts on the sets of the prequels that he was wearing <laughs> A New Hope. He doesn't buy new clothes. And the man has never owned a new car in his life. He will only buy used vehicles. It's not because he's cheap. He's, I don't need to you know, blow all my money. And when Disney bought Star Wars for $4 billion, you had everybody say, oh, whatever, $4 billion. That very day, he donated $4 billion to charity, okay? So, mm. like... Uh, He's he's a great guy and such a humble human being, uh, but that's you know uh, my argument. My last chance to get a nice defense for George Lucas, at least on a personal level. George, if you're listening, I'll go to Applebee's with you. 
I, I, I will too, and then I'll eat noodles and then read a newspaper with you in an Adelaide shopping center. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, back to the casting, like, he invited Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher out, and they were shocked when he said, so I'm working on a new Star Wars trilogy, and it wasn't even a thing of, like, oh, I want you guys to be in it or whatever. Like, he just, you know, said, yeah, I'm working on new Star Wars. You know, it might involve you guys. Just wanted to keep you in the loop because these are your characters. Like, wow, that's interesting. And neither of them were 100% sure right away. Like, you know, what am I going to be involved in this? And they sort of asked a few questions. Um, Harrison Ford is a different story. You know, George Lucas had talked to him about it, but he was just sort of gauging interest at this point. And Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher signed on very quickly to this. Harrison Ford was like, a, I don't even know how many people remember this. He was a last minute holdout. And at one point, I think J.J. Abrams said, we have two scripts. We have one script with Han Solo and one script without Han Solo. If he doesn't sign on, we go with plan B. And it was pretty late when he uh, eventually said, yes, I'm doing this movie. And everybody was like shocked. Well, he's coming back to play Han Solo. Uh, the return of those original characters, you know, from the, that, that we mentioned in our um, a couple of weeks ago, months ago, whatever, when we did our Rise of Skywalker trailer reaction, just the overemphasis on the classic actors was really more of a media thing than what you actually see in this movie. Um, but there's just so much excitement about bringing them back. I mean, how could you not be excited to see Luke, Han, and Leia again? As far as the new actors go, um, I actually was familiar with all of them uh, to a certain point, with the exception of Daisy Ridley. Uh, even Dominic, um, I was going to call him Dominic Monaghan, uh, D- Domino Gleeson. <laughs> is, that, is that who it was, right? Which one? Dominic Gleeson? Donald Gleeson? Yeah, Hux. Oh, Hux. Oh, I'm thinking of Donald Glover. I'm thinking, like, we're not talking about Solo. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Dom, Dom Hall. Yeah. yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I, I didn't mention him before. I like Hux. I didn't know who he was either, so. Yeah. I mean, I had seen him in a few. It's one of these things where they announced the cast on IMDb, and you're like, uh, I haven't heard that name. And then you start reading their filmography. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember them from this. Uh, Adam Driver was the first one that was announced. And uh, they even said he'll be playing the villain. And I remember looking at him saying, like, what a weird-looking guy. <laughs> I'm interested to see what this villain is. You had no idea at that point that this this is where J.J. Abrams kind of has his own thing of let's tease the audience. Nobody nobody knew that he was going to be a dark side character. I mean, they even lied up until last minute and said he doesn't have any Force powers. He's just a villain. He's just a guy who hunts Jedi. And you had no idea who he was connected to. Everybody was assuming Ray was the connection. And then they announced John Boyega next, and uh, I, I knew him from a movie. He had done the 24 TV yeah, series one yeah, season. Yeah, a very forgettable 24 yeah. season. So, yeah. Uh, um, but I remember a couple of the episodes he was in being like, oh, yeah, that guy was pretty good because he was a drone pilot in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I saw that he did this movie called Attack the Block, which is um, a British – you'd almost consider it like Sean. I mean, the, the guy who made Sean of the Dead, you know, is his writing partner, Joe Cornish, who made it. And it's kind of like a Shaun of the Dead type thing. Like, it's a science fiction movie about a bunch of teenagers in a low-income apartment complex who realize aliens have landed and are attacking. Uh, And he was one of the main characters in that. And I saw that movie. I'm like, I don't even know who this guy is. But, like, this guy is so funny, so charismatic, that if somebody gives him a shot, he can be, like, one of the biggest stars in the world. So when I saw this was the guy from Attack the Block, I got so excited. And all the way up until the movie came out, like, John Boyega is what got me really excited about this cast. Daisy Ridley, obviously, I had no idea who she was. I don't think she'd done anything. Um, and uh, uh, Oscar Isaac, uh, he had done a Coen Brothers movie called Inside Lewin Davis, which, funny enough, I knew Adam Driver from without realizing it was Adam Driver. 
but he was just so good in that movie it was kind of about like this struggling folk musician uh and adam driver in that when i actually realized oh he was in that too and i went back and looked well who did he play like the most hilarious character like you're like this guy's playing the villain because he looks bizarre and he just mumbles you like boomhauer from king of the hill essentially <laughs> uh so you know i mentioned how with the 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 prequels I would go out and find anything I could with those actors. I didn't really do that with this cast. It wasn't like, uh, oh, I want to go out and find all the John Boyega movies and all the Oscar Isaac movies. I, I kind of found enough that I knew I had an opinion, okay, this is who the actor is, and then I just kind of wanted to be surprised for when I eventually saw the movie. Uh, we should also mention, like you mentioned that big cast photo. There was the big controversy when that came out of, oh, there's not a lot of female characters there because there was only Daisy Ridley and um, Carrie Fisher uh, in that that photo of the first table reading, and meanwhile you have Double all these the other... amount that were in the original trilogy. Yeah, exactly. You, you could give credit to that. And J.J. Abrams is like, "Oh, don't worry, we're not done casting yet." Literally, the only other character that was le- that that was announced after that was Lapita Nyong'o's character. <laughs> and when we get through this movie, I'm going to show everybody how this character was probably almost guaranteed thrown at the last minute because of this. Gee, we really don't have a lot of women. A lot of people are upset about this. Let's write a female character in there. <laughs> Let's just do a CGI. It doesn't matter. Just cast anybody. Anybody who's a big name. Um, so, so that was kind of... I remember even the time just being like... Um, is, is this like a last-minute edition? Like, you know, did, did you have this plan? Did you come up with this because you were afraid you were about to get Me Too'd by the public or something like that? Pre-Me Too'd, Me Too'd? Uh, it was just really bizarre, but... You know, the, the whole cast is a lot of fun, and, and a lot of the people in there, like I said, Donald Gleason, and when you knew Simon Pegg was involved, it was like, oh, is it going to be a cameo, or is it going to be a real role? It's great that he got, like, a real role in this, too. I just want to quickly add, before we get into it, um, one thing I've noticed recently about Star Wars, they never cast any blonde females. Is this a thing that, like, Lucas had against blonde women? Uh, name one oh. blonde female character in Star Wars. I'll name one Captain Phasma, <laughs> hidden under a helmet. <laughs> She doesn't count. She's in it for like three seconds. <laughs> and wasn't she cast after that? Was she in that first cast photo? Oh, I don't think so. Um, but and if she wasn't, wasn't there, I guess that's the other evidence. Uh, put her in the helmet. <laughs> We've already got the costume. One thing too, I uh, with Mallory when she watched this, um, she didn't know that the original people were coming back. So when Han appears, oh, she's really? like, "Oh my god! Like this is incredible! I wasn't expecting him to return." And so that was a cool little moment to have Mallory go into this and not knowing. So. Um, let's get into the movie, though. Um, now, the first thing that we've got to add, the, as great as we said this was, when you see it on the big screen, you get this text crawl and everything. Can we just point out how weird it is not to have... And it just starts with a black fade into Lucasfilm. That's strange to me. It's still mm-hmm. is. It, is it still strange to you? Yeah, I mean, you just expect something out of Star Wars. It's just... That fanfare is basically the opening notes of the Star Wars theme music to so many people. So, more than anything, I mean, once you see A Long Time Ago the Galaxy Far, Far Away, you know, you're, you're there again, but it just, it, 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 it takes you out of the moment to not have those opening notes, because that really is part of the Star Wars theme, and we talked about that on Return of the Jedi. And now that Disney owned Fox, can they go and re-edit them all back into it? Like, can they just do this? Like, I'd appreciate it, Disney. <laughs> go it's do more that. likely that they're just going to erase the originals and put the da, 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 da. <laughs> oh god no um so long time ago galaxy far away and then we get da, 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 episode seven force of wookens 
And um, again, the excitement here, because you had no clue. You didn't know what was going to happen here. So this is great. So as always, let's read this, including shouting for the capitalized ones. Luke Skywalker <laughs> has vanished. Oh, at the end. Um, in his absence, the sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire. How Empire's, you know, small now. Uh, and will not rest until Skywalker, The Last Jedi, coming to cinemas 2017, has been destroyed. <laughs> With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot, her most stunning pilot, really, come on, uh, <laughs> on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Dot, 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 dot. Now, um, do you think a lot of fanboys roll their eyes when they saw the word Republic? Like, oh, not again. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Well, it was in the, like, that's the other thing. The, the novels that you mentioned just became, like, you know, uh, wiped from canon or part of their own continuity. They called it the New Republic in those novels. And that was before the prequels even came out. Um, which I think also is part of the problem is that they're, you're, you're saying, well, that's not part of our continuity, but we're just going to call it the same thing, you know? Um, but yeah, the, like, I, I think that my problem with the opening crawl here. I hate to be dumping on this all already, you know, but uh, the opening crawl is supposed to basically describe how you got there. And it's also supposed to give a little bit of a tease about what the point of the movie is. Like you take uh, a new hope. They've won their first victory. You know, these secret plans that can destroy the Death Star. So you're saying everything that happened. And if you imagine that the previous this was just recapping what the previous chapter was and then you tease what's going to happen in this one. This basically tells you everything that you knew just from watching trailers. There's a bad semi-empire thing. Now it's called the First Order. There's a good semi-rebellion thing, the Resistance or whatever. And then you just talk over and over again about the search for Luke Skywalker, which I think that's my biggest thing that I think they should have made more a part of this movie, is that after it's mentioned here, you hear Luke's name drop two or three times. It is not part of this movie. This should have been like the search for the lost Ark. Even if you're not going to reveal Luke until the end of the movie, keep him fresh in the movie. So this opening crawl to me is, it, it just, it almost feels irrelevant because what does it have to do with the movie? Almost nothing. I completely agree. And I think kind of, I, I mentioned, I think it was last week about how a big issue I have considering you've got such a 30 year gap is I feel there's just so much left unexplained, which, and also at the same time, you also come into it with just basically the same things that have happened from the previous one. So like you've got the first order hmm. is the empire. The resistance is just a rebellion. Like nothing has changed in 30 years in this galaxy. Like peace and prosperity yeah. has, has not like, it's just, it's odd. So yeah, no, I think that's a very good point you make there. I agree with it. Um, we get this shot kind of of, of the planet and we get this silhouette sort of creeping up, which is a great shot. Obviously, the one of 6,327 uh, comparisons to A New Hope, maybe. Um, but I just kind of like the way you just got the shot of the, the planet and then you just see kind of a few of the stars blacked out in the bottom left and you just see this ship. Like, it's a great shot. Um, the the ships coming from this. I love the, the shots, like the flashes to the stormtroopers, like the helmets. Um, you know, very reminiscent of like, yeah, like a war movie, like an invasion movie. And mm-hmm. it's, it's also, like, there are definitely some 
things done in the the sequel trilogy where it's not what you're used to in Star Wars. Like kind of you're not used to kind of a shot like this. I feel so. It's kind of it. it you, usually you would just see the ships coming into the planet and then maybe cutting straight to BB-8 rather than kind of just this flash of the stormtroopers. So it's kind of cool. Um, there are some that work, some that don't. Um, uh, we we meet BB-8 for the first time, little oh, testicle droid. Um, I don't. <laughs> Don't I don't know how to feel about BB-8. I just want to get this out and done with. Like BB-8's cute. Like don't get me wrong, but like this droid's got issues, man. Like I mean, in this <laughs> time, he's going to be murdering, just willingly murdering people, tying them up. Like yeah, R2 like zapped a few people here, but R2 never killed anyone, did he? Like um, mm-hmm. some oil slicks for some battle droids, but. I don't know. Just just quick thoughts on BB-8, because I feel that this is not going to be a topic of conversation we need to talk about at some point in the future. Well, I mean, one of the first images that we, we can talk about, two of the images here uh, that were revealed um, when they had that first teaser trailer, and one is that shot of all the stormtroopers inside that transport when the lights are flickering on and off, you know, which really sets that whole war feel about it. Um, but... The other one was that shot of BB-8 rolling across the desert, and people were just like, whoa, there's like a ball droid. Uh, the name is the only thing that really bothered me about BB-8, because people are already, you know, complaining about the Ewoks, too childish, Jar Jar, too childish, and BB-8 is obviously like, it's a baby droid, it's even called BB, BB. Uh, that's what I don't like, I wish they had picked a different name, but I think it is, it's a really cool effect, especially since it's for the most part, completely a practical effect of this the rolling droid. And I don't really have an issue with BB-8 in this movie. Um, I actually really liked BB-8. Uh, I, I don't feel like they did as well in The Last Jedi. But you know, this episode will be like nine hours. We just keep saying, well, The Last Jedi happens. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I got no problem with BB-8 in this one. I think it's a cool look. It's got a different energy and, uh, you know, suits Poe Dameron well. I, I agree. I think he it's a great... You know, aesthetic. He looks really cool, but yeah, I don't know. One thing too that I really want to point out now, because I'm going to forget about this later, has technology really improved that much in Star Wars in 30 years? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, that's a good point. There's really like again, you would think the Empire is gone. We saw the celebration at the end of Return of the Jedi. There should be peace and prosperity in the galaxy. People have evolved into these great things, and. We're kind of just where we were 30 years ago. Like, people talk about, oh, the original trilogy, the technology got worse from the prequels. Well, you're in wartime. Like, you've got this poor old mm-hmm. galaxy is, is under the dictatorship of the Emperor and Darth Vader. You can understand. But this should be different now. Like, again, some of the technology in the prequels still looks better. And that was, what, now 60 years? Phantom Menace mm-hmm. is, like, 60 years before Force Awakens. Am I correct there? Yeah. Yeah, roughly 60 years. Which... For a technologically advanced society that we get in, like, the Star Wars galaxy, the fact that weapons haven't changed in 60 years, ships haven't changed, the only thing we really got is this massive Death Star, which you realize they just kind of duplicate in this movie. Yeah, You go from episode 1 to episode 
eventually we're going to get to nine. Not a lot. The, the biggest changes in technology is droids can roll now. They don't need wheels. That's in 60 years. And I would argue that the Starkiller base is worse and less practical than the Darth. Uh, the oh, Death yeah. So- oh, there are a lot of problems with Starkiller base. <laughs> like, it just makes no sense. The Death Star was more practical, people. Um, so anyway, like, again, it has not improved. Still haven't invented the photo. Um, so BB-8 sees a ship, rolls into a tent. We meet... Um, uh, uh, Poe, thanks Ben, I know his name And uh, who is this old guy? Like he's a famous actor, isn't he? What's this guy's name? Max von Sydow, yeah Yeah, so he, did he not pass away recently as well? Um, no he did Whoops, Yeah, no, yeah, no, he's still alive He's still kicking yeah, well, he won't He's be 90 anymore. He won't be anymore in a few <laughs> weeks <laughs> So uh, what's his character's name? Lord Santeca so, Lord Van Teca, yeah Something like <laughs> that we know the sequel trilogy really well. We are experts on it. Uh, so he is something that he's given a Poe, and uh, basically this is really important, and uh, you know, you've know you got to get this away from here. Big issue, again, I have with this whole story around the, the whereabouts of Luke Skywalker and this map. Why does Luke make a map to find himself and then complain in the next movie that, how did you find me? Um, I know. <laughs> what? And And... Again, I think a huge plot hole with this map thing. So we're going to find out that this map is only a part of the map and R2-D2's got the rest of it, right? If you actually look at the map, you don't need the rest of the map. Like, surely this is the end point of where they've got to go. Yeah. That's all you need. So if you search for that planet, do you really... Like, if I was going to Winnipeg, right, and I had the end of a map that kind of just, I don't know, had like Calgary to Winnipeg and the end point was Winnipeg and it started at Calgary. I don't need a map of Canada to go, oh, okay, so I've got to start at... Vancouver first. Okay, I understand. <laughs> like, it makes no sense. Anyway, we'll get to that. So he gives him the plan. Uh, Poe's going to put it in BB-8. BB-8's going to run away because Poe's going to get in his X-Wing and start shooting shit up, but he can't get away. So uh, BB-8, he's just tell BB-8 to escape. Um, Max Von, whatever his name is, gets killed. We meet Kylo Ren. We get the Ky- I do like the Kylo Ren theme. The Kind of like the modern Imperial March, which is great. He kills Max von Snitty, whatever <laughs> Max von Snitty. Um, and uh, he brings Poe over to him. I'm missing maybe the most epic shot of all of the sequel trilogy, of course, is when uh, Poe shoots at Kylo and Kylo freezes the laser bolt. Like, yeah. wow. I mean, you, we all remember watching this for the first time going, holy crap, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are definitely some amazing... There's even at least one amazing sequence in The Last Jedi, which we will praise, and it's not just the porks. Um, <laughs> so, you know, epic shot. I also love sort of we get this first taste of this stormtrooper who's obviously struggling a little bit of kind of what's going on here. Um, we're going to get to that. We have another stormtrooper die, and of course, so we can help distinguish which stormtrooper is the good one, uh, we need to have <laughs> a red piece of blood on their helmet. Oh, that's the one. That's the one we've got to root for. Um, your opening line of the whole silence bit there between Kylo Ren and Poe, like, who talks? Me, I talk, you talk, you, who talks? <laughs> kind of funny moment. Um, yeah. very, very much in tune of how movies are sort of made and the dialogue in modern day. Like, I don't think you'd get away with this in a prequel and original trilogy, but it works. It fits in with the time. Um, and basically Kylo Ren wants this information. He wants the map. Poe's not going to give it to him. So Kylo Ren's going to kidnap him back on his ship. Uh, and as he walks off, he has a bit of a stare off with uh, this red-blooded stormtrooper helmet guy. 
Uh, I don't understand why Kylo just doesn't kill him then and think like, hang on a minute, this is wrong. Stormtrooper shouldn't have these feelings. Bang! Mm-hmm. Uh, but just lets him go. But again, in all fairness to kind of contradict my complaint there, is that what's so great about Kylo Ren as a character is, is he's still young. He's conflicted mm-hmm. with a lot of what he's doing. And I think kind of this is what I love so much about his character, that there's just so much depth to this evil guy, you know? Like, you meet Vader, Vader just straight away. He's, he's been Vader at that point for 20 years, so he's just an evil bastard. It's not really to Return of the Jedi that you kind of see that humanizing fact to him. And then even, you know, with the villains in the prequels, kind of it's exactly the same. You see that development of Anakin and everything along those lines. Whereas, yeah, like when you get that reveal of Kylo taking his helmet off and she just looks like a young kid, like it it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So little things like this actually can make sense to it. Um, BB-8 buggers off into the, ju- the jungle, the sand, really. <laughs> Did you think this was Tatooine? I thought this was Tatooine. I know it said Jakku in the credits, but, um, you know, I just like to believe things. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then I might just sort of lump in here. So, um, the stormtrooper takes his helmet off back in the ship. Uh, we meet Finn for the first time. Uh, what is it? FN 2197.3 FM or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) You're tuned in to FN 227.3 FM. (laughs) I'm your host, FN 227.3 FM. Um, we meet Captain Phasma for the first time. Uh, what are you doing removing your helmet? Take your weapon in for analysis. So is this just a thing? Stormtroopers can't remove their helmets? Like, <laughs> just, like, is it like you, one hour a day you can remove your helmet, Larry. <laughs> um, so I don't understand it. Um, and then we might just kind of captain here. Um, we meet Ray for the first time. Uh, well, we don't see her straight away. We see a kind of... Um, getting she's in a uh, wreckage of a old star destroyer salvaging some pieces which she then is going to take to uh the junkyard basically where we meet simon Pegg. i will give you one quarter portion uh <laughs> she takes this back and it turns into bread basically and um she's in a old um imperial walker which looks fantastic She's uh, scraping little numbers on the wall. She's sitting outside, putting on a blaster. I love that little shot of her wearing the blaster shield, just kind of like looking off into the distance. It's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she's going to rescue BB-8 because she hears something on the horizon and some creepy alien dude is on a weird metallic horse. Better That's Warwick Davis, by the way. Oh, is it? Oh, there you go. The horse yeah. or the creature on the... <laughs> yeah. Yes, Warwick Davis is the horse this time. That's a good-looking oh. horse. I'm, I'm glad they've expanded his uh, <laughs> acting campaigns there. Um, Ray is, fixes BB-8's uh, antenna and is basically like, oh, you know, I can't take you into town. But then she's like, oh, come on, I'll take you into town. So I just the visuals here look fantastic. Like the shot where she's um, mm-hmm. on a little thing sliding down the big sand dune is great. Um, yeah, the the shot of the Star Destroyer, like when she's on her uh, her bike thing riding past, it looks fantastic. Uh, as I said, the Imperial Walker, it's, they're all great shots. And this is kind of what, again, what I, I expected, you know, you have remnants of these things just like sitting around on certain planets. I think it's a cool look. I think this is how it would be. So, um, yeah, I think everything that we're getting here is fantastic starting with. I, I like the design of this uh, Simon Pegg's character and kind of some of the creatures in the background. So... Definitely a great look to everything here, and um, you know, I think yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good start to where we are. Yeah, you know, I get so caught up sometimes in how unoriginal and recycled the final act of this movie is that I don't realize how much good, unique stuff there is in the opening. Um, and 
even though I'm kind of critical of the fact that they've overdone it with this whole, let's make the audience think this is what's going to happen, but actually do something differently. Uh, the most effective use of that was with Kylo Ren, because you, you get this whole introduction, and even though they, they kept saying, oh, he has no Force powers, he's not a Jedi, he's not a Sith, he's just, you know, an assassin uh, who, who carries him and his people, because they even announced there's the Knights of Ren, uh, and they carry this, you know, type of weapon, but it's not like they have Force powers. So even if you had suspicions, that moment where you see him stop the blaster bolt, for the entire audience, was literally the first time where you realized, oh, they lied to us, you know? Uh, and that's something that gets forgotten. Is like They did a really good job of disguising what he was in this movie, and it was all because otherwise you blow the identity of him being a solo slash Skywalker. Um, it's just such a great introduction to him. I mean, the helmet's such an iconic look. His voice... Uh, you know, Adam Driver for just Adam, like usually you get a great voice like James Earl Jones. He's got like a very distinguished accent. Adam Driver just has such a normal voice. He's just got such a unique sound to his voice that it's amazing that he could play a character like this so well without you seeing his face. And he barely moves too. You know, y you take somebody like Anthony Daniels, a C-3PO. It's minor movements he makes, but he makes so many movements to to really you know show his character's emotions and. It, uh, Adam Driver doesn't do that at all. And, and something about him being still that just suits the character better. I just love the arrogance he has. Like, you don't really get the immaturity, which is one of my favorite things about him that people were critical of originally. The immaturity of, not just because he's young here, but because he was taken from the point of being a 15-year-old boy. He was forced, you know, into being the new Darth Vader after be for, for, first being forced to be the new Luke Skywalker or Anakin Skywalker. And he's essentially missed his entire upbringing. So he still has a lot of those, you know, teenage temper tantrums. I like that, but here he's just cool. You know, yeah. uh, also with Max von Sydow's character, because he was such a big name, I assume this would be a bigger role. I'm still kind of disappointed. We didn't get more of him in this movie because it's, it's, less screen time than you know christopher lee had in revenge of the sith it's barely even a cameo uh but what i do like is that what george lucas had in place from the beginning is he always wanted you to be dropped into these movies and feel like something happened before this and i don't understand it i'm missing something but that's the appeal of it you don't know everything about the force or a jedi or where the empire came from or the senate or all these things and this is one of the few examples of them doing that without just being a tease to the audience. Like, like you know, where did Ray come from? Where did her parents go? Who were her parents? Uh, we'll get into why that a lot of that is just the fans, you know, blowing things out of proportion. But with the Max von Sydow character, it might be the only example in this movie of something happened or a character existed prior to this that is incredibly interesting. Interesting enough in just a few lines, you're like, I want to know this backstory. And they're never going to tell you. You know, because he is the most trusted person. He even says, like, he's talking about Princess Leia and how how she's, like, his most trusted person. And, uh, th th you know, this, what is even the first line, this will begin to make things right or something like that. Like, you get that this would be one of the most important characters in episode 6.5 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And even though it's disappointing he's gone, it it's cool to think about all the stuff that happened. That's one of the few things they do that make this feel like its own unique world and not just nothing has changed since empire we're still in the middle of the civil war um the attack on the village you know it, it's cool as always to see the stormtroopers in different elements like you know with uh 
flamethrowers and things like that. Uh, you get with Finn right away that there's something a little bit different with him, uh, mostly because they put the blood streak on his helmet so that you could pick him out in a crowd, uh, which is kind of a cheap filmmaking tactic. You know, uh, it's like in Die Another Day. Uh, how are you gonna? be able to spot you know pierce brosnan and halle berry in the middle of this massive crowd well everybody else has sunglasses and they don't you know it's, <laughs> it's just a cheap stunt but that's kind of what they do here uh and and yeah the way that um uh gets captured with uh you know who talks first like you get something out of his character he's kind of shortchanged in this movie we don't really get much out of him as far as personality goes until the next movie what little bits we have are really funny and it, it make him more of a unique character than I think was written on the page. Uh, interesting thing about Oscar Isaac, you know, getting involved in this movie uh, is that he was probably the closest thing to a real star uh, of like the younger cast that we have here because he had starred in a movie that was like he was the star of a movie that was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I, I don't know he, if he'd been nominated for like Critics Awards and stuff like that, but he was one of these guys who was up and coming and everybody was like, you know, he, he's quite respected. Um, he was handed the script in a meeting with J.J. Abrams, where, again, he didn't know what he was meeting with him about. He thought it was going to be some TV project. J.J. Abrams said, um, so I want to talk to you about being in Star Wars. And he's like, sign me up. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well, do you want to read the script first? Oh, yeah, of course. J.J. Abrams hands him a script. He looks at the front page, puts it down on the table, and says, looks good. <laughs> Where's my contract? <laughs> like, he oh, was that excited to be in the movie. <laughs> exactly. And I think... That's one of the things you don't necessarily get with like Dizzy Ridley and John Boyega uh, is just that fandom because maybe they're young enough that they didn't grow up on this the same way like Oscar Isaac did. And that's what made it so great with like Ewan McGregor, these actors of like Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson's caliber uh, doing the original trilogy is that they just loved Star Wars that much. They're like, I get to play dress up. Um, the the Ray stuff is, uh, first of all, like Captain Phasma. Uh, what a wasted character, like all around. And and again, I, I looked it up and I don't see her in that first cast photo. So when they said, oh, there's no women here and there's literally only two characters they cast after that, both of which feel like they were dropped in the movie in post-production, one of which you don't even... I like the idea that they don't take her helmet off, but it just seems ridiculous you would cast somebody who's this big name from Game of Thrones and then not only cover her for the entire movie, but give her about four lines. Um, completely wasted opportunity. The, the whole thing with the uh, the the stormtroopers not having real names. This will become a problem later on for me when I feel like Finn has way too much personality for somebody who's apparently been brainwashed for twenty twenty five years. Mm. Like he's cracking jokes, he's flirting with girls. If he was really, if this is the way stormtroopers were brought up and they only ever were exposed to one thing. He would not have any of that personality. They would have driven it all out. They wouldn't even have to because they say they take them as children. Uh, which should also mention, I think, I don't know if it comes up later. Yeah, it does come up later, so I'll save that there. Um, but, yeah, the reintroduction, another thing that's, like, really unique in this movie, and that's one of the few things that survived from the George Lucas script or the, the one that he was working on with Michael Arndt, uh, which, by the way... <laughs> The idea that I've said this on other episodes, but the idea that they just completely abandoned everything George Lucas was working on. Well, then the screenwriter that George Lucas worked on the script with, Michael Arndt, still retains a co-screenwriting credit on this movie, which means there's enough of the material there. But this is one of those things um, that George Lucas wanted to build his entire trilogy around was just the ruins of the previous war. 
And Ray's character, the character that Ray sort of evolved out of, was always going to be like a scavenger who is just, you know, in these familiar locations or things like Star Destroyers or, you know, the Death Star or Cloud City, just looking for these artifacts. And it's such a cool idea that the character, it does, the planet is way too Tatooine-like. Like, it, it way too Tatooine-like. But yet, I don't really view Jakku the same way that, like, I look at Starkiller base saying, ah, oh, it's just Hoth again, you know? Um... Jakku does feel like its own thing because of this whole, it's just a tiny little civilization built on ruins. And, you know, just being able to see somebody climb inside of this broken down Star Destroyer is such a cool visual. We should also mention just the theme that gets played when, you know, she loads all of her gear up and then flies away or speeds away from this. The Ray theme is incredible. I'm not going to give a lot of praise to John Williams' score. I think he did an adequate job. But it kind of feels like if you just got a knockoff of John Williams who just pieced something together at the last minute. The Rays theme, though, right up there with like some of the best Star Wars themes. And same with the Resistance theme in this. And it just plays so well in that opening shot. Um, the fact that Simon Pig is not only hidden behind all of his makeup, but his voice is distorted is just hilarious. Because you got a guy that J.J. Abrams will put in everything. He would be considered one of the big names in this movie. And let's just make him completely unrecognizable. I had to Google it because I don't even think they announced who he was. I had to Google afterwards. So who did Simon Pig end up playing in that movie? Uh, Janie just said, I didn't even realize he was in it. And she's seen this movie like four or five times. <laughs> uh, What's the same shit yeah, just now? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want to see him shirtless jamie <laughs> yeah she's groaning that's a no uh, <laughs> did we do that in mission impossible when we had her rate the mission impossible men and she rated simon Pegg higher than yeah, probably like jeremy renner or something like that <laughs> yeah it sounds familiar anyways um yeah the, like the the, the uncar plot like that's the simon Pegg character and ray relationship just this cheapskate i mean he's a little bit wado which is, you know, cool because it's similar, but also you could say lacking originality. Uh, but just this cheapskate who's just giving away rations. He's giving away food. Uh, and also, you, you got to mention with the, um, uh, the the Ray Hut that she just lives inside of this broken down walker. Uh, there's dolls in there of X-Wing pilots and Stormtroopers. Yep, you caught that? Yep, yep. yep. No, that's, yeah. I, I always, I like... I always want that Stormtrooper one. That Stormtrooper one looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I think we mentioned that in... Um, which episode was it where we, we point out the, the action figures in a Star Wars movie? Oh, yeah, that was Rogue One. Yeah, so there's more Star Wars action figures in a Star Wars movie. But again, it's it's just... All you're really getting is just her everyday routine. You're not getting a lot of dialogue. You know, you get her kind of rescuing BB-8 here. Um, from that point on, it's just going to kind of become like the Luke and R2-D2 thing. But just the environment looks different, despite the fact that it is just another Tatooine-like looking desert. You know, the, the, this whole ruins is such a unique idea. Uh, so I actually really like Jakku, and uh, I think all the characters here get nice introductions. Uh, especially Max von Sydow, who gets a nice introduction and then gets written out about five seconds later. Just really quickly before we move on with it, um, the difference, I think, between Jakku and Tatooine is that the sand on Jakku is actually not coarse oh. and irritating, doesn't get everywhere. It <laughs> yeah. sucks in things, so it's a little bit more soft and smooth and gets a bit squishy as well, yeah. as we'll see soon. Um, and just quickly as well, again, this is something I want to bring up now because I'll probably forget to bring it up later. You talk about the design of Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Uh, thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't really have a problem with it because um, I think it's a cool idea. Uh, is it practical? 
That's my problem with it. I don't think it's practical. Like, what do those things serve the purpose to do? I'll say say this. Can you picture how Anakin cut off Dooku's hands in Revenge of the Sith? It would have come in handy to have Kylo Ren's lightsaber if you were Dooku there. So maybe (laughs) one, one one out of seven or eight lightsaber battles, it actually makes sense in. I just remember when the trailer first came out and we saw that Noah just complaining about that constantly. Like, this lightsaber's dumb. Um, but I, to me, <laughs> like, as angry as Kylo gets, to me, he's going to chop himself off because if you tilt that a little bit while you're holding it, like, that's going to leave a burn. I just like the idea. If you, if you look at it closely enough, you really get that we're going for Because they're, they're going for, like, some type of a medieval sword from, like, the Crusades in, in a lightsaber form but then when you get close and you you zoom in on some of these shots and you realize that there's a real harsh glow coming off this thing it's not mm. like a lightsaber glow. it looks like tiny flames like like it's, it's an explosion waiting to happen and that adds to it a little bit more to me where i almost feel like well this is some ancient ancient jet this is like from thousands of years ago when kylo ren just sort of refurbished this thing <laughs> you know he, he he you know got a refurbished one off of kajiji or i don't know if kajiji is a thing anywhere else craigslist i think that's the american version you know uh ancient crusades lightsaber uh burns you know a little harsh uh needs uh, a bit of cleanup possibly a battery replacement good to go uh it's it's i i i don't mind i think it's a cool look at least so we're back into space now, and we are having our chiseledly handsome Poe tied up in a chair, getting interrogated. I'm sure this is the dream of many a man and a woman to have Poe um, tied up in a chair. Is he? I mean, look, I feel like we're just commenting on everything right now that everybody talks about this movie. <laughs> is he that attractive? I mean, like, you know, is he that attractive? Yeah. I Maybe in this trilogy, I mean... You know, John Baega is not a bad looking guy. You know, Adam Driver seems to have like this huge female following more for just the character of Kylo Ren than for him himself. So, I mean, what what do you, you know, narrow it down to in this movie? Oscar Isaac and Greg Grunberg? I mean, I know which one I'd pick. <laughs> I'd go for Greg Grunberg. <laughs> I'd go for older Mark Hamill. Uh, I think, you know, he's aged quite well. Yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Even Mallory, is, Mallory says he's better looking now than he was in the original trilogy. <laughs> exact same thing Jamie said. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, I think it's just that thing from, you know, I, I was never aware that like women found Oscar Isaac attractive until there was the honest trailers that said, let's call out everything we loved about this movie. And one of the first thing they did was Poe Dameron's beautiful face. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I guess that's a thing. Um, Adam Driver to me is a spitting image of my brother-in-law of the of the, the guy my sister married. So I just I just think of him as Adam. That's basically it. Funnily enough, that's his name. But um yeah, it's it's also interesting I think on the uh, the male perspective, uh the straight male perspective, obviously our uh, gay females as well for the the female attractive side of things. Like obviously Carrie Fisher, you know, regarded as one of the, you know, most attractive characters Princess Leia in all of movie history. Um, Padme, I guess, I mean, from my perspective, obviously, yes, but I don't think there was really the same extent around Padme as there was with Carrie Mm. Fisher, uh, or Princess Leia, I should say, but I I don't really hear a lot of talk around, um, Ray and Daisy Ridley, uh, and I I feel like, I feel weird that we're talking about the attractiveness of people, it's not about that, I I realise that, but uh, I don't know, like, I I don't feel like there's that huge amount of talk around it, and I guess that's probably the goal here, they don't want to sexualise the the Ray character, so we don't need to have that glaze upon her, do we? 
And well, let's say it's just probably the same thing, you know, for John Boyega and Oscar Isaac. I mean, we're sort of questioning it more just because we're coming off of a trilogy where they cast Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson and Hayden Christensen, you know, and uh, I mean, at least two of those guys were cast for their acting, you know, <laughs> all three of them were cast, I'm sure, for their looks as well. well Jimmy Smith. Uh, and then even the original trilogy. Yeah, Jimmy Smith. There you go. Oh, There's another one. What a man. Sorry. Temur Morrison. Mm. Oh, um, yes. But Ian McDermott. It's, it's, oh, <laughs> Anthony Daniels. Yeah. Ahmed Best. Mm. Yeah. But I think that's just the change in movies, too. I mean, Image was a much bigger thing, you know, in the, the 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and obviously even in the seventies as well, I would say. And now, you know, people just wanted decent characters. I mean, for, you know, my opinion, I, I think Daisy Ridley's more attractive than either Carrie Fisher or Natalie Portman. But, uh, you know, Jimmy wasn't being cruel or anything, but she's like, yeah, I don't get it. Like she looks so average. I'm like, okay, well, she's not supposed to look like, you know, a, a princess or a queen. She's supposed to be this low figure, which yeah, look, I, if I had to say, I would say Daisy really is attractive, but I think my whole point with this is that I've never looked at her in that way, and I think, mm-hmm. to me, I like that, and I think that's the goal of what yeah. we're trying to do here, is that we don't watch a movie because, oh my god, they're so hot, like, you know, this isn't The Notebook, where Mallory's just staring and looking at Ryan fuckwit's <laughs> face for two hours or something like that, you know what I mean, so it's kind of, and we do live in a, an era now where it's sort of, it's shifted, like, we're... It's more about women are having that voice saying that men are attractive and it's kind of not on the same level as it used to be for men to say, like, oh, she's hot. You know what I mean? So it's kind of, it is a different well, time. <laughs> no. Was it really ever any different with, like, women? I mean, you go back to the 80s and the 90s and, I mean, who can forget the era of the Ryan Phillippes and the Freddie Prince Juniors? I mean, <laughs> well, they certainly didn't become big names based on their acting. The only time Ryan Phillippe's been mentioned in 2019 again. We, we haven't mentioned him so far this year. We're meant to be keeping that up, Colin. Jesus, the guy's losing his pulse. We're going to start getting royalty checks off his, like, 36 bucks a month or whatever he makes. I shouldn't joke about it, actually. He just recently appeared in Will and Grace. So, um, clearly, there's demand for Ryan Phillippe out there. Um, coming soon to episode 10. Uh, but anyway, um, so Poe Dameron's beautiful face is a little bit cut up and... Here's Kylo Ren extracting information from his skull. Now, a lot of people talk about the new force powers in these trilogies, and particularly when we get to The Last Jedi, I guess. But it's it's interesting. I think, again, next week we're going to talk a lot about certain things in The Last Jedi. But I don't know about you. I'm not one that really finds it an issue that we see new things with the force because, again, this has been 30 years since Return of the Jedi. Things develop. There's a lot of gaps there that we can fill in, but I don't know. Like, here it's kind of cool seeing him extract information from his head. To me, it's it's not that different from changing a person's mind into saying what you want, right? Yeah, well, I don't... I'll I'll just say this. I don't mind the new things we see, um, to a certain extent. I think they go way too overboard in The Last Jedi, where it's like, it doesn't even resemble the Force at all. And it's like, okay, so apparently, you know, you are a hundred times better than the most powerful Jedi or Sith that's ever existed. But little things like being able to stop stop the blaster bolt, like that's cool. His little mind extraction thing here, you know, I like that. Um, I think one of the other problems we run into in The Last Jedi is that they take pre-existing force powers 
and then they just go overboard on like you know vader could choke a guy even if he was on a different ship snoke is in a different solar system and he could throw a man around a room you know without even being present yeah uh but the new things i'm i'm into that like especially with kylo ren i think it's important you know that we we remember that he is the offspring of vader and vader never really was able to achieve his full potential i mean that's sort of the point of the sequel truly, once you see it in context of episodes one, two, and three, is that the Emperor got a broken apprentice. He never got what he wanted, which is probably one of the reasons when we go back to Return of the Jedi, that the Emperor was willing to say, you know, yeah, you know, Luke, maybe we can turn him. He could be a powerful ally. And I think it's similar with Snoke here. Like, S- Snoke, there's a lot of stuff that's sort of been deleted from this movie about uh, Kylo Ren's obsession with Vader and Snoke thinking that's stupid. Vader was a failure. And really, that's true. I mean, Vader never became what he was supposed to be. Uh, and he was limited physically. You know, he was obviously limited you know, with certain force powers. And Kylo Ren, this is just like what Vader would have been unleashed, you know, if he if he uh, ha- hadn't had the, the, the physical things holding him back. Yeah, no, I think you summed it that perfectly. And that, yeah, I agree. I think it goes a little bit too far in The Last Jedi. But I- I've seen people complain about this. Like, oh, we've never seen mind reading powers before. Like, what is this? You know, it's kind of... Star Wars fans are going to complain about anything, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of you summed it up very well, and yeah, it's uh, this is wait what, what what did I say? What happened? Oh, it's just gonna say, <laughs> not you. <but laughs> what? What's I? going on here? Oh. <laughs> For people who would say we've never seen that before, um, so then how is it that Yoda is sitting there saying, "Hmm, afraid to lose your mother"? I think mm, he's true. reading his mind. Yeah. That, that's a very good point. And we see that with Anakin when he's, like, trying to guess the ships, like a speeder. Like, he's, he's basically, yeah. I mean, not reading the mind, he's kind of seeing the picture. But, yeah, I think it's, and this is it. Like, this is a whole thing where it's kind of, you're right. And we were talking a little bit about that in the original trilogy. One of the times we, I guess, I was defending some of the visions that we're going to get in this movie in particular, too. Because we sort of had visions that Luke had in the cave. So, it's not like it's a new thing. And some people will find, hey, we've never seen this in Star Wars before. We don't need flashbacks. It's kind of, you know, there's here and thereabouts. You can kind of connect it all dots. But again, Kylo Ren, love this guy. Love, he's my favorite character in all the sequel trilogies. And I just love this whole sequence here of him just basically torturing um, Poe and kind of just getting it out of his head. And I think what's great about Kylo Ren and why I love him so much going on to this sort of whole thing that he's like just layered and you've also got to remember he's young and all this sort of stuff is that he's literally just tied this guy to a chair, got it out of his head... And he basically walks out two seconds and is like, oh, we don't need the droid, let's go on. Like, And people complain yeah. that that's a plot hole. They're like, oh, like that's dumb. You know, why does, you know, he's just getting away with it. Now, I can see the plot hole argument, but at the same time, he's a young, evil guy who's basically just trying to go along as he can and he's very conflicted. So I think it's it makes sense that he would make mistakes and kind of just jump to straight away like, boom, I've got this information. I don't need a droid. I know where to go. Like, I just, I just kind of think yeah. that makes sense. And that's what I love about the Kylo Ren character. So... I love this. I think it's great. And we also... This is, I believe, the first time we meet Hux, isn't it, as well? We haven't seen Hux yet to this point, yeah. have we? I love Hux. Like, Hux is kind of pointless. Oh, yeah. Like, like <laughs> I don't know. I, I just love Hux. Hux is just a lot of fun for a, for an evil guy who doesn't really have a whole lot to do in these movies so far. Um, we, we cut back down to um, Jakku and Ray's getting something else and trying to get more portions and getting ripped off again. What what are these portion things? Like, this is, like, weird food dehydrated... Dehydrated, things. Yeah. Um It's the pizzas from Back to the Future Part 2. <laughs> mm, I do like a rehydrated pizza. 
<laughs> and then Ray all of a sudden gets offered a shitload for BB-8, and she says no. Now, one thing that I always find issue with these movies as well is that people get connected to things way too quickly. Now... <laughs> We've had lots of debates in Casino Royale about how long that was and James Bond falling in love. We're not getting into that. Download Double Oz 7 to listen to that. Ray's met BB-8 all of 10 minutes ago, and all of a sudden she's like, oh, no, no, I think I'm going to keep this droid, you know, because he's special. He's a droid. And then we're going to get this whole thing with Finn and Ray where if you kind of analyse this movie, doesn't this only take place like over 24 hours and then you add Last Jedi to yeah. that. We've kind of only got like a 48, 72-hour period that these two movies have taken place. Finn acts like Ray is like the best friend he's always had and like the most important thing in his entire life. And yet he's barely known her. So we'll get to things like that. But I don't know. Like, this is a poor girl who's like scavenging in Star Destroyers and AT, ATs and basically having to make her own uh, Star Wars action figures. <laughs> and here's her opportunity <laughs> to be fed for a month. And she's just going to go, no, I'm going to keep this little droid, which what purpose does this droid have to her? I, am I just being too cynical here on this situation? No, <laughs> no like I would have been more, um, I would have been more likely to buy into this idea of her being connected to the droid. If it was in fact, like you said, oh, 10 minutes earlier, it wasn't even that they get here. She drops him on the ground and says, all right, it was nice doing you BB-8. And he just sort of follows her. Like, she was ready to just, not even ready, she had said goodbye to him. It's like, hey, see you later, no attachment whatsoever, and then you immediately jump into this. Like, maybe have something where she senses, or or have him reveal a little bit more about, you know, I'm on a very important mission. Like, like just have her have a little bit more stakes in whether they get him or not. Because it's not like, you know, Simon Pegg, Uncar Plutt here, Simon Pegg's character is saying, I'm going to turn him over to the First Order. He's like, no, I'll pay you for him. Mm. It's like, okay, why not? You got to eat. Exactly. And this is the thing too, like, uh, and we're not unique here in saying this about Ray, but like a big complaint about Ray is just she's so good at everything. And it comes down to, you know, oh, the reason is because she's one with the Force and the Force is awakening in her. And like, okay, I see what they're trying to do there. But like, there's just so many elements about Ray where even Mallory watching this for the very first time kept turning to me and going, why is she so good at everything? Like, I don't understand this. And it's like, it's not even like a thing where I can say like, well, keep watching. It will get explained because it doesn't get explained yet, <laughs> at least anyway. <laughs> so this is the thing. Like she can speak droid, you know, she's going to be able to fly ships in a minute and all this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's frustrating. Like at least in A New Hope, when Luke meets 3PO and R2-D2, there's at least a... I don't know, a day's worth of connection there so that he feels a little bit, yeah. you know, and learning more and there's that connection to Obi-Wan and everything like that. There's that setup where it makes sense, where Luke's basically got nothing. So, oh, cool, I'm going to go with you, Obi-Wan, to Alderaan. That makes sense. This just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Anyway, ranting. <laughs> this is such a unique episode, these these movies. Again, because we're going to be praising stuff and then we're going to be ranting. Like, it's just such such a yeah. it's such an odd way of talking about Star Wars considering, you know, we've been praising pretty much everything until this point, even the ones that don't get prayed. Praised. Prayed as well. Um, I also love how uh, Simon Pegg's character just basically gets so angry that he shuts up shop and there's poor people in line waiting for their, um, their quarter portions. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, I want that droid. <laughs> Close of a business. And these poor people are going to go hungry. I'm just like walked off. Um, Poe gets rescued and it's Finn. Uh, he removes his helmet and 
Another another thing, I really like this sort of bromance and this connection that Finn and Poe have. I think they work fantastically together, and I think that would be great to kind of see more of. But again, we don't see a whole lot of them together, do we? It's just kind of this opening stuff a little bit at the end, and then that's, that's really it. Um, so I, I just love their dynamic when they meet here, and kind of Finn's helping him to, to escape. We get the whole line of like, you know, oh, TIE Fighter, can you fly one? It's like, I can fly anything. I'm the best pilot in the galaxy. Um, yeah. I do also appreciate the fact that they keep selling him as the best pilot in the galaxy, and you really do see him doing pretty good stuff as a pilot. Like this isn't just one of those things yeah. where they're like, "Oh, he's good," and he's not that good. So, um, did you ever um, see there was an interview uh, around the time that Force Awakens came out where they this is before the movie came out and they were addressing that with Oscar Isaac and Harrison Ford, and they asked Harrison Ford, "It's like, so Oscar Isaac's character, you know, is supposed to be the best pilot in the galaxy and." Harrison Ward's like, no, he's just a young, stupid kid. And they're actually played like they're sort of out of character in character. And Oscar Isaac is asked like, so Harrison Ford said that Han Solo is a better pilot than Poe Dameron. And Oscar Isaac almost gets upset. He's like, Harrison Ford's full of it. (laughs) He's like getting very defensive. I'm like, I love that he just owned this character. And they do really sell it with him like more than anybody outside of Anakin. I mean, we hear, oh, Luke's a great pilot and everything, but like, yeah, Poe is spectacular in this movie. I, I think we could do without Finn gushing all over him in the middle of a battle. You know, <laughs> there, there's a few too many problems with this entire movie of your new characters constantly being other characters reminding the audience, oh, th- this girl is so unique. This girl is so special. Oh, that guy's such a great pilot. Like, don't tell us, just show us. Like, I'm I'm okay with seeing it and being like, wow, Poe is amazing. You didn't need for us to stop and tell us what you're trying to convince the audience of visually. Yeah, I remember you talked a lot about in our Jurassic World ones where it's kind of like Chris Pratt's character. Like, he's so good at everything. Whereas, like, here, I feel at least with Poe, at least, um, not with Ray, they at least go out of their way to give you reason why they're kind of talking this guy up. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, they they go and get in a tie fighter, and I I love how this tie fighter is like roped down. Like, like this just goes into our whole like Empire last trilogy and now the First Order. Like you know, and remember procedure for tie fighter: make sure they're classed down properly, follow the instructions to ensure that they are classed <laughs> safely and securely to avoid injury. It's on a leash. Yeah, it is. <laughs> What is this? Like, do they have the little people with the kind of the coloured sticks, like at airports, waving them as they land in? Like, come on, guys! Up, yep, back in, back in, yep. Attach the rope. Yep, that's it. It kind of looks like the yappy dog that's like chained up in a front yard that can only come so close to the fences. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but again, like the security of things here. So they just get in it and they go to fly off, and then all of a sudden we've got like the deck of this ship. Like, oh, that that ship isn't authorized to take off. Like, who is in there? Blah, 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 blah. Like, do do they... I mean, I get it. Like, if this is the military and you're an aircraft carrier, you can't just jump in an F-18 Hornet and fly off for a joyride. But, I mean, at the same time, I love how, like, within two seconds, they just start firing at this ship. What if it's just, like, Larry, who's just like, oh, yep, just, you know, I (laughs) changed the carburetor on this thing, just going to test it in. Sorry, I didn't log it. Like, I completely forgot. Like, they're quick to fire at this thing. Um, Like... Phasma was just looking for a quiet place to nap, and like yeah. her foot slipped and hit the, the ignition. That's why they had the rope on there. It's classic Phasma. Yeah, yeah. Phasma's <laughs> oh, she's fallen asleep again. She's <laughs> last time she ended up at Coruscant. She was in. <laughs> Where's Phasma? Oh shit! Oh god, fell asleep again. Oh, we need to tie these things down. Write that down, Jenkins, for the next meeting. <laughs> rope for Tie Fighters. Got it. Okay, understood. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, they, they get out, they fly off. We kind of have a bit of a, a battle sequence of TIE fighters getting shot at by them. Why don't they send the TIE fighters after the TIE fighter? Or do they? Or am I just forgetting? Um, <laughs> they, they, I think they do. They do. All right. Um, and so Kylo Ren also goes onto the, the bridge of the ship and basically talks to Hux and is like, you know, one of our stormtroopers is affected. And, and then that's when uh, Kylo Ren's like, a stormtrooper on the planet. Like he knows who it is straight away. And this is, I think, what? Is this meant to be alluding to us? Like, oh, maybe Finn has force powers, like, because he can sense it or something like that. Like, I, I don't know if that's the implication here. Um, and is this where, is this where they kind of call out Finn, where they say, like, oh, you know, he's a, they show, like, the graphic of him as a kid and saying, like, oh, yeah. now, I, again, I love this idea of having a stormtrooper defect. And kind of turn good. I think it's a fantastic idea. Probably one of the best ideas they've had in the sequel trilogy. But again, it does beg a lot of questions. Like, why is this his first mission onto Jakku? Like, what's he been doing? I know he's been a janitor, but is that the the yeah. progression of a stormtrooper? Like, we're going to kidnap you from your parents because we're going to raise you in our our army. But hey, you've got to earn your stripes as a janitor first. Uh, before we give you a gun. Like, I mean, like, child soldiers in Africa, when they're stolen from their parents, are given guns at, like, 10 years old, aren't they? Like, for blood diamonds and all that sort of thing. So so why do they wait so long for <laughs> stormtrooper babies to basically grow up? Like, you must learn to clean, because when you kill people once every 58,000 shots, you will have to clean their blood up. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... There are a lot of problems with Finn, uh, just as far as his character making any sense in this movie. And again, I love the character. I think he's the most entertaining one in this movie. Not my favorite character, but easily the most entertaining. And I think John Boyega is like the only guy who could really pull this off because you don't really question it. I think that that shows how good John Boyega is. But like when you really sit down and analyze it, like there are so many problems with Finn's character. I already mentioned his his really exuberant personality which goes against everything the first order has like they wouldn't have flagged this and says hey this guy you know he's he's a little bit too jovial um he's trying to pick up girls he's <laughs> a little bit lazy he's he's lying he's fast talking like he's he essentially comes across like an immature han solo in this movie and there is no way you could ever make it past janitor being like that and my biggest issue you know i'll just say it now is how quickly he turns we see a moment with him at the beginning where he didn't want to pull the trigger and there is a book that came out that's sort of like divided into three sections which is you know uh one story on what was poe dameron doing right before the force awakens one on what was ray doing and one on what was finn doing which clearly showed this was his very first mission Uh, but he's still gone through basic training and i mean we get the impression from Phasma and everybody else that this is very unusual for a stormtrooper. Like, it's not like, oh, it happened again. You know, it's not like that at all. And I just wish that we had had even just one or two brief scenes, have a scene with them, you know, kind of putting him through some type of mental test. Like Phasma's got him there chained to a chair and it's like, you know, a clockwork orange or something like that. And and he, you know, has a tear rolling down his cheek or something. Just any moment. It it literally just goes from her saying, go back for reorientation or whatever. And the next thing, I'm going to break you out. And and the other characters in the movie tell us this has never happened before. I just don't buy it. I think you could easily just retcon it a lot by not saying that he was taken as a kid. Just say like, oh, yeah, um, he just, we took him like, I don't know, a couple of years ago when he's just finished his training now. Yeah. And we've always, you know, like, that's all you need to do because, yeah, I agree. It's kind of, there's a lot of issues around it. Um, but I, also the thing 
that I find, again, going into what I've said before about how, you know, First Order is the Empire, you know, the Resistance is the Rebellion. Like, this is a thing that I also don't understand, is why if we've got this First Order and they say it rises from the ashes of the Empire, like, we still use TIE Fighters, we still use Stormtroopers. Like, it's kind of... Yeah. Why can't you just call it the Empire still? Like, it just... If you want to make <laughs> something different, like, have different things. Again, this is where I think they've missed the, the boat a lot in this sequel trilogy is because you've got an open canvas where you can do whatever you want and you can create new ships, new soldiers, new everything. Like, you know, it makes sense in the prequel trilogy to have the clones kind of develop into stormtroopers and we see the development of the ships that turn into TIE fighters because we obviously knew we had to get to that point. But you can just have everything here. And this is why, again, I just don't understand why we need to have a first order rather than simply just the Empire is reborn. Like, the Empire didn't really die. Uh, you know, Kylo Ren, Snoke, they kind of got it from the ashes and brought it back up again because they're also still using new versions of Star Destroyers and things like that. So it just it, well, it's just well, odd to me. There's another issue, which this is, again, we're getting really into The Last Jedi quite often here, but, like, The Last Jedi kind of establishes that, like, you know, the same people who make ships for <coughs> the uh, the Resistance make ships for, or the same people who fund it make it for the First Order. Like, these are two factions, and they're just being exploited by whoever has the money. What really doesn't make sense to me is that when you look at the prequels into the sequels, the Jedi Starfighters, as far as the design goes, is a precursor to the TIE Fighter. The good guy's ship becomes the bad guy's ship. Mm-hmm. Well, if Return of the Jedi ends with the Empire at least being pushed into a corner, right, that technology is absorbed by the new government, which is the Republic. Why are they not flying TIE Fighters? True. Why aren't they flying Star Destroyers? Like, why aren't we seeing the same ships on both sides? It's just, it's another thing where it's like, it was so done for nostalgia for people that it actually doesn't really make sense when you think about it, that both sides would probably have both types of ships. There's no reason that they would still be so Empire and so Rebel Alliance. And I think too, like, it would have been a unique take. He's kind of, as you said, that the Empire's kind of pushed into a corner where we to believe they're defeated at Return of the Jedi. Why not have this as you know, complete peace in the galaxy. I know we kind of had that a little bit in the prequel trilogy, but it wasn't fully peaceful, I guess. But just kind of, and then this, it's about having the resistance side of things actually be the the remnants of the Empire trying to come back and sort of take things back. That would have been unique. And I think, like, yeah, you're exactly right with the ships and everything because we've touched on the technology kind of, this has been 30 years since Return of the Jedi, nothing's really that new. Yeah. Um, But it's like, you think about it, like, if ISIS is defeated for good, in the Middle East, and they come back in 30 years. I mean, uh, do they sit down around a board table at ISIS HQ and go, oh, we need to change our name because, you know, ISIS is negative. Like, it's like the US Army aren't going to change their name to the US Resistance in 30 years' time because, you know, (laughs) like, it just... Why is the Rebellion changing their name as well? They're the same bloody thing. Like, it's just... Mm -hmm. All right, calm down. There's good things about this movie. Um... (laughs) But I do I do like the little moment between Poe and Finn here when it's kind of like, you know, hey, I don't even know your name. What is it? Poe, what's your name? FN2187. It's like, I ain't calling you that. <laughs> <laughs> so he calls him Finn. And I, yeah, like the, the enthusiasm of John Boyega, like, Finn, yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah, Finn. Um, and I also do love the whole, we get like a whole sequence for the next half hour or so of like, poor old Finn is trying to escape from Jakku and then like every five seconds he's being brought back yeah. to it. It's like, no, I'm not going back to Jakku. <laughs> it's kind of like, I need to go get my droid. Um, they end up crashing. We 
we get the sand again. It's not coarse, rough, and irritating. It gets everywhere. It, <laughs> it, it sucks and it falls in and it takes everything. Um, we did hear that little line. I always forget that. Was it Ray says that to BB-8 earlier, doesn't she? About you know, like oh, you know, be careful. The sand will suck you in or something like that. So, um, and we get that shot. Remember the very first trailer we ever saw for the Force Awakens when we've got Finn jumping up and breathing heavily, yes. and there was all that. Uh, you know, some people were against it. A lot of people were for it, but it was great. Sort of that one scene there. Visual, again, visually fantastic when we see this TIE fighter kind of get sucked down into the hole. Um, for some reason, Poe has run away and taken his jacket off. And he's I know! <laughs> Why? He hasn't even run away! Okay, <laughs> I was so, so glad you brought that up. This, along with about a half dozen things we're going to mention in The Last Jedi, complete plot hole. Because he doesn't say, I got up and ran away. He's like, I got thrown from the ship. Your jacket got thrown from you and somehow stayed in the seat? Like, how did he disrobe while he was being thrown from a TIE fighter? He's naked somewhere. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> um, but somehow Finn survives walking in the... And, of course, the desert is so cold, apparently. He needs to put on a jacket because why not? Um we have a scene of Kylo Ren and Hux kind of having a bit of a backwards and forth. Again, I like this sort of dynamic between these two because it is kind of who is in control here, you know, General Hux. And is he General Kylo Ren? Like, yeah. <laughs> Lieutenant Kylo Ren? Um, are we ever going to get the explanation behind the name Kylo Ren? Because you remember, like, you know, Darth Vader. Like, is Snoke or that going, I'm going to call you Darth... Oh, no, we've done that. Kylo Ren. <laughs> well... I mean, there is a little bit of backstory. We know that, that, that there's this group, which they say it in here, the Knights of Ren, mm-hmm. which were like hunters of the Jedi. And that Ren is simply like, you know, an identification. The same way Darth would be for the Sith, the Knights of Ren, which Kylo Ren, from what I understand, is the only force user of them. The rest of them are just Jedi hunters. Um, where you got the name Kylo from, I don't know. There, there is a character, though, in the droids animated show from the, the 80s. There is a character named Kai Bo-Ren. Nah. And uh, it's probably one of the only episodes I actually had, like, on video, and I watch it quite frequently. And as soon as I heard the name Kylo Ren, I'm like, oh, they stole that from droids! <laughs> Clearly, that's they love the droids. Coming soon, the Disney droids remake. Live action, probably. Um, yep. Finn gets into camp, and he's trying to find water, and water, water, water! Ends up drinking from a giant tank of a giant whatever that thing is. Um, and then we... I'm sure Luke would be milking it. Yeah, prob- <laughs> probably. <laughs> now, then we get, like, oh, this uh, This is an issue to me here. So we get... He sees Ray getting attacked by these random people because I'm guessing they want to attack BB-8. So, of course, Finn's got to go in and, and rescue Ray, right? Because, you know, movie. Uh, a woman's getting attacked. Yeah. A man's got to rescue a woman. But then, of course, Ray starts kicking ass, and we get this look from Finn. It's kind of a... Oh, yeah. like, oh, a woman can... Like, this is my problem with this. We don't need a reaction shot from a person going, oh, look, exactly. a woman. Like, this is this demeans a female we, character to me. Exactly. We brought that up in Rogue One. They do the exact same thing in Rogue One. And one of the reasons that I, I think I appreciated Solo a little bit more is that they don't do that in Solo with Kira. Mm. It's just like, oh, yeah, she just took the guy down. Exactly. So and that's this is the thing. Like, if you're going to have your strong female character, and you and I have always been an advocate of, like, it doesn't, like, don't make a thing of it. Just have a female character who's strong. Like, you don't need to reference they, the fact that she's a woman every five seconds. And we, we said all the way back in A New Hope, we said the same thing. There, 
Princess Leia does the exact same things in New Hope. She pulls out a gun. She starts blasting stormtroopers. Not once did one of these characters look at her the same way. Yep. You're right. It, it is more demeaning to have a character. What? She can do that? Yeah. Like, there are tons of... He works for Captain Phasma. Why is it a surprise <laughs> to him that a woman can win a fight? It just it just always has bothered me. Always bothered me. And it just, you know, like, if you, you don't... Literally take that two-second shot out of his tilt head going like, oh. Like, and it's yeah. fine. Like, it's completely fine. And I think then you just pass it off as he's not going to rescue her because she's a woman. Like, he was going to rescue her because there's a person in trouble and he's a nice guy. That's yeah. all you pass it off as. Um, yeah. Anyway, so she's kicked the ass. Good for her. BB-8 recognises uh, Finn because of the jacket, of course, because it's Poe's beloved jacket. Uh, only Poe. One of a kind. <laughs> he didn't get that at, like, Galaxy Gap or something like that. Um, <laughs> Custom made for Poe Dameron's beautiful body. <laughs> but I do also love here that, like, Ray, instead of just walking up to, excuse me, sir, my droid over here believes that you have uh, acquired this jacket somehow. Can you tell me how? No, Ray's like, yeah, just like attacked me. <laughs> because why not? Um,. I do, I do like it though when like they kind of sort it out and poor old BBS like that tells a story about it. But I like it how Ray's like, "Oh, so you're with the resistance?" And then Finn's reaction, "Yeah, yeah, resistance. I'm, I'm with the resistance." <laughs> like, I love that reaction. <laughs> um, so funny. Um, the stormtroopers have discovered them, of course, because why not? They're escaping. They're running through this camp. Um, they go towards a ship. Uh, Finn, of course, says, oh, what about that ship? No, that's a piece of junk. Hmm, I wonder what that ship's going to be. There's just the fancy ship that they want to get on explodes, and what's the piece of junk? <gasps> it's the Millennium Falcon! Oh! The garbage will do. <laughs> yeah, the garbage will do. Um, they get in it. Now, I've got to say, like, there's a pretty epic battle sequence. Like, it, visually, it looks fantastic. It's it's exciting. The flying through the Star Destroyer is awesome. There's that awesome shot where kind of, like, Ray flips it upside down and then fingers pew, pew, and then boom, like, it looks awesome. But again, just the complaint, how does Ray just fly this ship and just do everything with it? The, the A New Hope parallels when Finn's in the, the gunner ship section. Um, we obviously get the, the little radar thing, which is a direct um, sequence of uh, From A New Hope. So, I mean, look, again, I, visually fantastic. looks great. It's fun. But, you know, there's the little things about it, too. One thing, actually, I want to backtrack quickly, too, before I let you sort of cover some of the things we haven't already talked about here. Um, I've always wondered, I don't think I brought this up in the original trilogy, whenever we get the shots of the TIE Fighters and we see the TIE Fighter pilots kind of, like, turning a knob, I've always wondered what that was. And I don't know if they deliberately did this in this movie because people did, thought the same. Because you say that, you see that when Finn and Poe are in the TIE Fighter when they say, like, oh, switch them that way to, what, lasers and switch the other way to missiles, I think. So, yeah. I like I like the fact that that got explained. I could just be dumb and that's been explained before, but like to me, I've always wondered why you see these pilots sort of, you know, turning it around. It's, but... the, it's the Attack of the Clones uh Revenge of the Sith button that does everything on Padme's ship. Yep, yep, yep. So yeah, they get out of there and they fly off into space. So I might just kind of uh, I know you've already discussed a few little things, but um I might just cap mm-hmm. it there cuz I I want to get to Kylo Ren's tantrum separately. Uh we'll go back to the torture scene. I I love the torture scene, and that was one of the uh, early images that really had people questioning because they were very adamant, you know, Kylo Ren is not a Force user, uh, which was the original idea, like the original script that George Lucas and Michael Arton were working on. 
had Kylo Ren as just the leader of these Hunters of the Jedi, which kind of got used in the Star Wars Rebels TV series with a character called the Inquisitor instead. Um, but that shot where he's got his hand there and you just see it looks like, you know, Poe Dameron's beautiful head is about to explode. <laughs> people were like, what is he doing to him there? And I remember I, I remember if it was an official explanation, but a lot of people were saying, oh, well, it isn't the Force, but he has some type of different powers. Like, I think we just gotten to a point where it's almost annoying now when, you know, filmmakers are just blatantly lying to people. Like, I would rather you just don't comment at all than to say, no, that's not what you're getting. But I think in this case, like I, I said, I still was somewhat surprised when we saw Kylo Ren block the blaster bolt and even here, you know, so there's something to be said for it being a little bit surprised. Um, Ray, I think one of the most interesting things, you know, we said that part of the problem with her is we we've had nothing revealed about her character in two movies. Like there should have been at least something and sure they tell us one thing, but we don't understand why she still has memories. Cause she, she's constantly referencing even a BBH. She's like, Oh, my family, they're going to come back for me one day. She never says parents which is the most misunderstood thing in this movie that uh, everybody says, who are Ray's parents? Her parents are irrelevant. That's just my biggest annoyance when this movie came out. I'm going to have several points here where I point out what fans speculated for the longest time or even continue to speculate. Oh, she has to have some type of important parents. Like, no, they're not just going to do that every single time. And I still think it actually makes sense, especially when you watch The Force Awakens. It makes more sense that she was just left there, you know, as garbage or whatever. But she says, my family, they're going to come back for me one day. She literally has no memory of this. And that's one of the things I find most interesting about Rey is when things like the Force powers start coming to her, she doesn't sit there and question, you know, how do I know these things? Uh, when she can speak BB-8Es or whatever. She doesn't question, how do I know this? When she's referencing her family, she's never specific. And the only time we see anything about it is when she's having the vision of the ship leaving and she's saying, come back. But that's like a memory coming back to her. And I, I think it's it's an almost an interesting idea that Ray is a character who's had amnesia since she was maybe five years old. And she just has it in her head at this point, oh, she knows what her life is, but it, you know, maybe it isn't that. So um, I, I'll keep pointing them out when I, uh, you know, put the connect the dots together that Ray literally, you know, was just left there traded for drinking money or whatever it was. <laughs> um, I already said, you know, they needed way more conflict for Finn's turn. It doesn't need to be a bunch of scenes. You could just have, like you said, that te- you take that 10 second shot of him going like, what? <laughs> when Ray's beating up men. Uh, maybe you just add a 10 second shot in of them trying to reprogram him. And it's just looking like, you know, he's still conflicted. Just don't jump from, oh, I couldn't pull the trigger and one of my friends died on the battlefield to I'm going to help this guy escape. Um, <clears throat> maybe show him being a little bit more in fear. Now, I do like when he is taking him um, uh, down the hallway or whatever. And he's saying, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. Mm. He's like, I am calm. I was talking to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that even though it makes no sense that. Finn's character acts the way he does if he was programmed, you know, as an Imperial agent or whatever. I still love those moments because, like, Finn is the weakest, most pathetic character in the history of Star Wars. And that's what makes him so great because he's not a tough guy. He's not competent in battle. Every time he's in a fight, he kind of loses really quickly. Everything he does in this movie, he sucks at. He can't pull a trigger. He can't wield a lightsaber. He can't fly. He could barely operate a gun. The second time he used one, he got it stuck in the forward position, and Ray had to bail him out. Even Jaja didn't know how to. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he really is the Jar Jar of this movie, but it proves it can work. You kind of need a character like that. That's like All the characters in one way or another are sort of supposed to be low and humble. But the best example, which is coming up later on, is where the, the guy doesn't even know how to identify simple tools. Like, hand me the screwdriver. The what? The screwdriver. And he picks up a hammer. This? No, no, no. The one I put it. Like, <laughs> I love that part coming up too. But it actually makes him so much more of a fascinating character that he isn't good at anything. Because why would he be? He was trained to be a janitor. Then he was trained to pull a trigger. And that's all that the these First Order officers are. They, they decide this is what your job is from birth. And you're trained for one thing. He even says that. I was trained for one thing. So it's it's great that he fails at everything he tries here and that he would be like, stay calm, stay calm. Um, there's a little cameo here. I don't know if you're familiar with the actor Thomas Sangster. No. He's probably most well known for uh, – he was the kid. He played Liam Neeson's stepson in Love Actually. Oh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, he since went on to do a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones. He was in the Maze Runners movies. He's a great actor. He actually has like a one-line cameo in here right as the TIE fighter is like on its leash or whatever. And I think he's the guy who brings it to Hux's attention. And it's very clear it's him. But huh. there's a lot of those little cameos that uh, they said we're going to start to take a lot of these actors who – you may recognize them. We may cover their face for whatever. It's just like the Daniel Craig or the Tom gonna, Hardy thing. I was going to say, there's a very in, big one in this movie. <laughs> yeah, but in this case, they're like, well, let's give you one shot in the movie. And, uh, you know, even some other, uh, m- you know, minor actors who pop up here. If you watch any British TV, I-, I recognize a lot of these actors from just different British shows. But, like, he's one of the ones who actually be, he, he was in the middle of doing Game of Thrones at this point. So it's a pretty big deal that he did this one line cameo. Uh, I love during the escape. I I, I want to say the music, Force Awakens, easily the weakest soundtrack. Uh, and I'm not just saying of the John Williams. Like, if I had to rank the Rogue One and Solo soundtracks, I would put those above Force Awakens. But there are a couple of moments. I, the, the music that plays during the escape scene, like the, the flight scene, the TIE fighter flight as they're leaving the Star Destroyer, there are some great cues in there. I don't think the whole track is that great, but there's some great moments in there. Um uh but the, the really funny part where uh you were mentioning where he says oh i gotta go back for my droid or whatever and he says he's describing he goes it's a whatever whatever bb unit one of a kind orange and white and he goes i don't care what color it is <laughs> <laughs> like why did poe even it's orange and white what an orange and white bb8 i gotta see this <laughs> i heard stories and i mean there were rumors some fuzzy pictures on the internet once but like i didn't think they were real orange and white you say let's go back to jacu <laughs> did you get that at disneyland i hear you can make them there <laughs> That must have set you back a pretty penny, huh? <laughs> Orange and white. Woo! <laughs> um, one other problem here, again. I, I think we spent a lot of time defending the prequels because there were unfair criticisms of that movie. We're still in that phase, particularly with The Force Awakens, not as much with Last Jedi, where there's not really criticism at all. So I think we're just kind of evening the playing field here. Why does Poe tell him about Luke? Like, for all he knows, this is just a spy who's trying to get him to lead them. If you are the best pilot in the Resistance, you are a high-ranking officer, you're captured, and then a stormtrooper decides to just break you free very easily? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, oh, they're doing this so I could lead them to the droid. And he says, oh, I gotta go get my droid. It's orange. Now he knows the color of the droid. <laughs> oh, now he knows what's in it. Luke Skywalker. Um <laughs> There's no reason he should have told him that. He should have just said, you know, a, a map to a very important thing or person. Um, and that's also, course, too, it, coming up, I think I, I looked at, too, when 
Finn says something. Was it Finn when he says like, "Oh, about Luke Skywalker," and they say like, "Oh," and Ray's like, "Oh, I thought he was a myth." Like, why yeah. is Luke Skywalker a myth? That's well, that's something that got deleted from the movie. I mean, I'll just mention it now, even though I think that's that's coming up in a bit. Um, the original idea, which we still retain some of that, is that enough time has passed since this event, like fifteen years earlier uh, or whatever, that um, that history is not really recorded and we see that even in you know modern times now there are people who didn't grow up during 9-11 who don't understand everything about 9-11 you know uh the same way like our generation didn't understand everything about vietnam and now it's just assumed because the people who actually were there who know the full history you know media gets a hold of or whatever and you just don't don't get it that the jedi and the force and luke and everything he was the only one so even if you knew that the empire had been overthrown that didn't necessarily mean you knew what the jedi was because the jedi had been extinct for a generation even prior to that uh the fact that she recognizes han solo as a war hero but then says luke i thought he was a myth was actually supposed to be a bigger part of this movie but jj abrams for whatever reason didn't think it really made sense that she would know one not the other but i actually i like that idea. i wish they would have explored it more there's a reason why luke would just disappear into obscurity he's like i can I'm not the guy who, you know, uh, is a public figure who's married to, you know, uh, the the former princess slash senator. You know, I can just disappear and train my Jedi. Like, he's not a major figure or anything. But that was supposed to be a bigger part of the movie, too. Hmm. Um, yeah, again, that the thing where Poe gets thrown from the ship and his jacket somehow comes <laughs> off. Um, it's just stupid. And, like, where did... Because Finn obviously believes that Poe was sucked in there and died because he says, oh, he's dead. There's only one tiny seat in the front. Like, there's not a lot of places he could have gone. If you can pull a jacket out, you could see, is there an arm dangling out? Like, do you see a separate head anywhere? Like, again, it doesn't make sense. He would just jump to the conclusion he's dead. Um, I I also noticed the same thing. Like, he's wearing the jacket. Now, of course, if you're in the desert, you got to shield yourself from the sun. So it makes sense when he has it over his head. But when he's actually wearing the jacket, you're like, (laughs) Man, I'd be sweating my balls off out there. <laughs> like, no wonder he's crying for water. Um, the uh, oh, the, the scene with Hux. You also missed the. Uh, we get a great prequel reference there when he's questioning. You know the the training they have for the stormtroopers. He goes, perhaps the supreme leader should consider using a clone army. Uh, like, yeah, I loved yeah. when they mentioned. Yeah, and it's it's a good argument. You're like, okay, so. Uh, the clones did they fail because they were all just clones and they had no individuality? You know, are these guys failing because they're just trained from birth and you can't actually program them or anything? Um, Also, the uh, when Poe does uh, eventually meet Ray, I just got to play the the entire scene here, like you were saying, where where she's like, uh, "You're with the Resistance," and I've never met it. And she suddenly looks impressed. I've never met anybody from the Resistance before. And he goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm with the Resistance." And he whispers that. With the resistance, and he's got like and that just, cocky chest. He juts his chest out a little bit, like I'm with yeah, the resistance. Yeah. <laughs> and when she's like, uh, "I've never met a resistance uh, fighter before," it goes, "Well, this is what we look like. <laughs> Some of us others look different." <laughs> Again, he's so good at the comic. Like, this is why I said I still believe John Boyega could go, go on to become one of the biggest movie stars in the world because. Here he has a really poorly developed character, and like you just you you have to love him. He's so good at this, and you don't treat him as a joke either. I mean, 
the comparison of him being like Jar Jar is very fair in this movie, and yet nobody says they're annoyed by Finn, you know? Yeah. Um, he's just so good with the comedy. Also, this was supposed to be more combative with them, uh, like Finn and Rey, uh, and not so quick to just be like, oh, I mean, that's why you, when you said, you know, they're just suddenly like best friends and they just met each other. It wasn't actually supposed to be that way. It was just another one of these things where they changed it maybe for the wrong reasons. Who knows? Um, the chase that they have here, you know, when the, the tie fighters are coming after them, I, I do find it a little bit weird. Like <sighs> tie fighters on the planet. Does that really make sense? We've never seen that before. Mm. Like in the pre in the sequels these are spaceships and whenever they're on land they have different types of vehicles that's true so i didn't really get the tie fighter would it be practical i mean these things are supposed to be super fast like do they have it on the slowest speed right here um yeah that's a, that's one of those little things that kind of bother me we even see it with the x-wings like there should be some other different type of ship because luke on hoth is in a snow speeder and then he has to basically tr- put himself uh, into a different ship just to leave the planet. Like, the X-Wing does nothing but just leave the planet, and that's it. Uh, but again, minor complaint. I never thought uh, about that. That chase scene is... Yeah, I thank you. I'm full of good points today. <laughs> um, the chase scene is one of the best things in the movie, though, because it really utilizes Jakku in a way that makes it different. Because, like, let's be honest, everything we see in this series just looks like something we've seen before. And this looks just like Tatooine. Uh, but having like all the wreckage and the fact they could fly through this, you know, crash star destroyer is just fantastic. Um, the, the little thing they do where they, they fly the ship sort of upside down and then just sort of let it free fall. Uh, there's a movie, the only movie George Lucas made after the star Wars series was over, at least revenge of the Sith was over was a movie called red tails. Uh, did you ever see it? Nope. Never. It was about the Tuskegee Airmen, and it's amazing because I feel like if you release this movie now, especially that you know there there is this this huge push with Black Panther and everything for you know more ethnically diverse movies. Red Tails did it back in 2012 or 2011 or something like that, whenever it came out. You know, an entire movie, full black cast, you know, black writer, black director, George Lucas, the only white guy involved in the movie producing it, and he had spent his entire career. Going back to the point when he finished Return of the Jedi, he's like, I want to make this movie about the Tuskegee Airmen, Red Tails. And instead of being like a serious war movie, it's actually really fun. And that was probably the coolest shot in the movie where uh, one of the pilots does that exact same thing. So it's probably has nothing to do with Red Tails. But, it, you know, I, I like to think that maybe there was – let's throw one little homage in there to George Lucas. <laughs> um, the uh, The issue, like you said, there's too much to just – Oh, we've seen you know the Millennium Falcon before, so we got to put one guy in the gunner, and we got to put somebody in the cockpit. It's one of the few things, or not few things, many things in this. It's just all too familiar, and I kind of wish that we had been presented with this in a little bit of a different way. Like the chase scene's fantastic, but I don't know why we needed a guy at the gunner post. Like, shouldn't this just have been about them? You know, we have to get our bearings with the ship and then lift off. Because what really works about this, like you said, well, Ray can fly. The first thing they show is that she can't pilot this thing at all. It's like dragging against the sand. It's tipping upside down. And I really like that. But then they just go right into this autopilot where she's this amazing pilot. 
and you know we have the gunner and everything like it 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 started out really interesting i feel like if there's anything that could have made this sequence better it would be maintain that thing of ray being uneasy behind the controls and every once in a while she's bumping something or she's turning them upside down and oh i gotta get my you know controls right here um but still it's a fun sequence uh maybe a little bit too brief i would have liked it to be a, there really aren't any long action scenes in this movie mm. and i think this would have been a good opportunity to do something bigger th- um oh of course the, the way that plays out with uh you know oh we'll take that ship there what that what about that one over there it's like that one's garbage the fact that they don't show you what they're talking about and then all of a sudden when the other one blows up the garbage will do and then they pan to the millennium falcon like that got like the biggest laugh in mm. the theater it's I probably only one other moment yeah only one other moment that I think got a bigger laugh than that, and it's a chewy moment, uh, of course. Uh, but yeah, that, that the garbage will do is just so good. Um, you do have to wonder, like, how does she know how to pilot? Because she says she has never left Jakku. So maybe you know how to start a ship. Maybe you know how to control a ship. How do you know how to leave orbit and things like that? She's never left the planet. So... I hope we get some type of explanation that explains how she knows all these things. Maybe it's going to be something about her being the reincarnation of Anakin Skywalker or something like that. Uh, and also, can we just uh, mention how great it is when during that you know, sequence, uh, the the Falcon in the the desert and the crash Star Destroyer, the fact that BB-8 is just flopping around <laughs> everywhere, like it, it looks, and he's like you know, attaching these little yeah. cables to levitate. Like it's it's a fun little thing. Also, Simon Pegg, when he's just throwing his hands up in the air, that's more! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, also, the, the Star Destroyer wreckage, this is the only other question I really have here. So, Jakku is supposed to be like the remnants of a battleground. And the only civilization on Jakku is people living off of what they can scavenge from you know, these downed Star Destroyers or X-Wings or whatever. What was the value of Jakku when this war was going on in the first place? Hmm. Like, you would think a massive battle like this would be a battle for something. There's an important resource here that we need, or, uh, you know, it's a strategic stronghold, or there are rebels who are going to join with the other rebels if we don't... There is no strategic value to Jakku. There's no reason that this massive battle should have ever taken place here. It's it's and Darth Vader had some... sent them out there because he's so sick of coarse and rough sand. He's like, it's I hear the sand yeah. out in Jakku is not as coarse <laughs> and rough. Let's go get some of that. If this is post-Return of the Jedi, you know, it's like, do it for Vader! <laughs> Exterminate the sand! <laughs> but even, uh, that, even that's, it's okay. a case of, like, it's a good point, actually, because, you know, it's not like when the Death Star blew up. Did, did every Star Destroyer in the galaxy just fall out of the sky or something like that? Because, I mean, it's not like, Indo- it's not like Independence Day, is it? Where, like, they started destroying all the ships, so that's where all the ships are. They just lay to rest in every city in the world. Like, we see that shot at the end in, like, Africa and Sydney and all that sort of stuff. So, is that what we're meant to imply, that the Star Destroyers just fell out of the sky? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I hope it's more like a battle, because otherwise it's a pretty boring way. Because for... Also, where did all these people come from? Yeah. Like, what did they do here before they were Star Destroyers? Where are all the dead Empire people in the ship? Like, were they just raided? Oh, and like... <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, I like, never, never just thought about that. Skull there or something <laughs> like that? Um, yeah, I think very. Uh, the, the points, too, like, about, um, yeah, with Ray flying as well. Like, all we need is just get, like, a... 
maybe like a shot of her just kind of like sitting at the controls and then all of a sudden like hearing a voice or kind of like, oh, like, oh, how do I like just kind of realizing she knows what to do? Like, I think that yeah. would kind of add like this movie is called The Force Awakens. OK, we get a line from Snoke like there's been an awakening. Did you feel it? Like, OK, cool. But I feel there needs to be more to that. Because it's kind of like, it's yeah. like Ray sitting around in the Star Destroyer and she wakes up and says, oh, I feel the Force. Like, I mean, again, to defend the prequels, like, it makes sense with Anakin gradually turning evil because in Attack of the Clones, he's having these visions of his mother dying, which is leading into then Padme dying in Revenge of the Sith. So it, it's, it's all on a long path to why he's obviously seeking out the help to try and keep people alive. It makes sense. Like, I, I feel there needs to be just even a scene or two of Ray literally realizing something's awakening inside of her. Yeah. No, that's important, especially when you consider that Last Jedi, or even the end of this movie, establishes Luke has closed himself off from the Force. Mm-hmm. It's it's not just, you know, oh, well, The Last Jedi wrote this in. This movie clearly shows that, that Luke flees. And... When Snoke mentions that line, that's before Ray has any type of use of the Force or anything like that. No sensitivity, nothing. Nothing comes until she touches that lightsaber. And yet, it's prior to that that Snoke says there's been an awakening. What's the awakening? It's not from Luke. It's not from Ray. Is, is it from BB-8? <laughs> like, Anakin! Force Anakin's around! He's, Anakin! He's... <laughs> Anakin! <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, but I mean, this is where it, like there's so much... You know, thirty year gap. So much has happened, and it just—I don't know. There's, there's lists, and, and people say, "Well, there's a book and there's a comic." I'm like, "Great, I'm yeah. glad that they can do that." But again, as I've said, what about like, for those who can't read? Well, exactly. I can't read. Okay, but like, but even then, in all seriousness, like, it's great that you've got these extra bits of canon to to add to the story. That's always fantastic. But I feel like you shouldn't rely on extra source material to create things. Like, this isn't the MCU where you know, you know. Like, it's just it's just a different beast, I think. And it's kind of like, hey, cool, here's a movie, but make sure you read four books before you see it to fully understand yeah. character development. Like, it's just lazy. It's lazy filmmaking to me. Yeah. So, um, the one thing, too, that Mallory brought up, because uh, John Baig is obviously British, and so she sort of asked me, yes. like, oh, is he American? And I said, no, 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 he's British. And he's like, oh, I can tell. And I'm like, I can't. I cannot tell that he's British. I think he does a very good job of the accent. But then she raised yeah, a very good point. Why is he American? Like, Ray's British. Why isn't just Finn yeah. British? What, what, has there ever been an explanation and, there? I mean, the only non-British Imperial officers or First Order officers we hear ever are Finn and the guy who calls him a traitor. Mm. And then a very terrible deleted scene in The Last Jedi with this guy with an over-the-top Texas accent. <laughs> but yeah, like, it makes sense. Like, why could he not be British? Why does he have... Unless it is just the thing, like, let's be honest... This isn't being critical, but American audiences are more likely to accept a movie where there's somebody who's American. And John Boyega had enough acting experience that he could, you know, maybe do an accent. Daisy Ridley, maybe not. I mean, J.J. Abrams has even said, like, Daisy Ridley, like, they they were shocked the first day of filming at how bad she was. Like, she was inexperienced, and obviously she got better. But it probably just is we have two main characters here. Let's pick one of them and make them American. And he was just the one who could pull off an accent. Possibly. Yeah. Uh, Daisy really, I will say there are a couple of scenes in uh, this in the last Jedi where there are some of that inexperience does come through. Um, I, I think I've written it down. There's at least a couple of scenes. Like, oh, oh yeah. That's not very good. I think it's mainly a lot yeah, of stuff with Luke next too. movie. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, anyway, I, I'm nothing against Daisy Ridley. I like Daisy Ridley. Um, so anyway, uh, the, the little scene when they're like coming out of each other, did you see what I did? Did you see what I did? And it's kind of like, yeah. do we just become best friends? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, but it, it is a Finn thing. Where f- maybe it's just Finn. Finn's one of those people that just meets someone and automatically becomes best friends because we're going to see it with Rose in the next movie. It's kind of like, hey, look at us. We're yeah, besties. Exactly. Like, it's just a Finn thing. Maybe it was back to that personality. Finn's just such a great personality that you're going to be friends with him straight away. Um, I want to be his friend. Yeah, let's be honest. We all want to be his friend. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie, again, just Kylo Ren, just what a great character. Um, oh, when look. we've got him standing in front of the console and this guy comes up to him and is like, Sir, we we <laughs> we lost them. Um, it's like they, they escaped on a ship, the BB unit or whatever it is. And then just Kylo Ren gets out the old lightsaber and just starts bashing the shit out of the console. Like a teenage, what, is, what do they say in the oddest trailer? Like a teenage goth kid who lost his eyeliner or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I did, I love the reaction of this Imperial guy who's just like you know, flinching. Because like, like he knows the history of this. And then, mm-hmm. um, is this where he says, like, what was the ship they escaped on or something like that in the Millennium Falcon? That's when he grabs him, like, chokes him or something like that. Or like, you forgot, before that, when he has his freak out and he's like, bang, 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 bang. And then he just stops. He goes, anything else? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, there was you know, a girl. They escaped in a ship. What ship? <laughs> oh, it's so good. And just, again, goes back to what I keep saying about him. Like, because he's just young and kind of just, you know, jumped into this. He obviously idolizes. I mean... You talk about movies with commentary, like, this is kind of a bit of a commentary on a lot of younger people today, isn't it? They idolise certain people and kind of they just completely take over. So he idolises Vader and boom, I'm going to turn into Vader. But of course he's going to make mistakes and he's still just a kid and he's just chucking a tantrum and just... I love Kylo Ren. I can sit here and bag out any of the sequel trilogies. I'm not going to bag out Kylo Ren. I mean, not only my favourite character in this sequel trilogy, he's maybe one of my favourite characters in all of Star Wars. I just think he's so great. Um, So good. I just love this actor. I love this actor's fear that he has on his face. (laughs) Like, no one in the Empire was afraid of Vader. Like, apology accepted, Captain Needock. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Scary the goth kid. He's angry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> how how often do you think like we talk about Finn being a janitor? It's like he walks out from this scene. So janitor to section C seven three four. Janitor to section <laughs> Kylo Ren has destroyed another console. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just the monthly meeting. Uh, yes, agenda seven C. Kylo, yeah. Look, mate, sure you're angry. Uh, seven consoles yeah. this month. You're gonna you do if you keep doing this, it's coming out of your pay. All right, like we don't have I, unlimited I, money. We can come up with a compromise. Why don't you just not go to rooms with consoles? <laughs> like like a nice, maybe a folding chair. Like <laughs> those are easy to replace, cheap, easy to clean up. Janitors much prefer to clean up broken chairs than broken consoles. Please stay out of the console rooms. Jenkins, you have an idea? Yes, well, why don't we create a special angry room for Kylo Ren where we just put lots of old things that we don't use? And then you get, <laughs> That's a great idea, Jenkins. Let's note that down. Angry room for Kylo <laughs> Okay, well, we'll we'll acknowledge that. Thank you very much, and we'll uh, check into the the budget and the cost, uh, and we'll get into that. All right, next agenda. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, back in the Millennium Falcon, um, something's destroyed, and there's going to be poison gas because apparently there's poison gas. Why not on the Millennium? Of course there is because of movie. Um, and then this is that scene you were talking about before about like pass me the wrench. No, no, no. Like again, yeah. I love like. <laughs> 
I love that. So what sequence. I'm pointing at, <laughs> yes. Like, look, I talked about Daisy Ridley kind of having some moments where it shows like this is a great moment. She's fantastic here. Oh she's yeah. Just like no, no, yeah. no. And look, <laughs> we we joke about kind of like you know Finn just falling in love with his girl best friends straight away, but great chemistry between these two. Like so good. Oh, yeah. And that's just maybe a Finn thing because Finn's got chemistry with everyone. He's the Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, of the Star Wars. Bros. Movies. Uh Rose. Uh, <laughs> but then this is where she's finally questioning Finn about, where's the base? Like, they've been flying for how long? And now they're going to be like, where's your base? Uh, and then Finn's trying to get it out of BB-8 and kind of saying, like, I'm not with the resistance. And then BB-8's like... Bruh! like, But I do like the little moment where it's like, please, you know, let me help you. And then finally BB-8 tells Ray, and then the little thumbs up moment. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> That's the the thing. Let's let's talk about this now with Force Awakens with the with the humor. This is very classic Star Wars. Whereas the Last Jedi yeah. takes it too far. It turns it more yeah, into exactly. slapstick Marvel. I mean, for God's sakes, we have a scene with an iron that we think is a spaceship, but it's a fucking iron. I'm uh, <laughs> like, it's just dumb. Whereas this has that classic Star Wars feel about it. So I think that works really really well. Um, they then get sucked in by a giant ship thing um this is the very star trek sequence isn't it i think this kind of feels yeah. a bit star trekky not so star warsy um they decide to hide and think oh hey we can use the poison gas against these people and who happens to walk into the Millennium falcon the door opens and here's the big fan service moment chewy and han solo we had the famous moment in the trailer of course when we get chewy i'm home Mallory straight away got excited because, again, she didn't realise that they were in this movie and was like, that's the moment of the franchise right there. Um, <laughs> it is a great moment. I, I would have laughed, though, if they had actually gone through with the poison gas and just Han Solo and Chewie get killed off within, like, two yeah. seconds. Chewie, but- we're... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, they discover them in the, uh, the, the basement little thing bit there and... Um, this the is- basement? <laughs> I don't know. What is it? The under... Thing down there with the Millennium Falcon furnace and hot water yeah. tank, <laughs> yeah, old, old Christmas decorations. <laughs> Greedo's head because he shot first. Um, I do love Han kind of walking around the ship and sort of you know checking it out and everything along those lines and making sure everything's all in order. Uh, basically, he's going to kick Ray off the ship and Finn off the ship. You know, you don't need to be here. Um, they then. All of a sudden, uh, these Star Trek people are there to get money off uh, Han. Um, I don't get this whole sequence. <laughs> like, it's just... I'm just going to lump it together really quickly. People are fighting over Han and Chewie for owing money. So for some stupid reason, Han decides to keep the BB-8 unit with him rather than hiding that too. None of this would have happened if he had just put it in hiding as well. Because then we've got super Scottish guy. Um, the Are they... Japanese or whoever they are, the other people coming in there trying to get the money off them. They discover, oh, that BB-8 unit. I believe the First Order is looking for one exactly like that. Anti-prisoners. Um, it's just like the most <laughs> Scottish guy in all of Scotland is here on this ship. Uh, I do like him, though. He's kind of fun. And then this all leads into a big battle between giant worm creatures that are being held off and they escape by having to go into light speed from the ship, which I don't understand why they have to do that. Uh, like, there's a lot of moments with light speed in this movie where it just doesn't make sense. I, I'm, I'm probably underselling this. I don't know how you feel about it. I just, I, this is just a moment. I'm just kind of, eh, like, cool, they're escaping and great. It just feels kind of out of place. Yeah. But th- there's a couple of moments oh. that I... 
yeah, I, I do really like when uh, Finn and Poe, uh, Finn and Ray are kind of like, oh, what's a, whatever the aliens are called, and then you see one like go up on the window, and Hansel <laughs> so was just like that. Um, and I also love the yeah. moment when what are they saying like, oh, you've you've been out of you've you've told like two or three lies or something like that, and Hans like, no, that's not true. It's only been one, and then kind of they say like two again, and then yeah. Chewie's got that look in his face, he's like, and he nods. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the one that got the biggest laugh when I saw yeah, it. In the yeah, I remember that too. Chewie really doesn't have a lot to do in the sequel trilogy, but no, still great. Like Chewie has some good. Oh, moments. they make it count. Yeah, like the one bit, well, there's maybe two bits in the uh, last Jedi which I really like. And one of the funniest bits that I still lose my shit at to the day is the pork sequence when he's eating the porks. Like, I lose it every time I see that part in The Last Jedi. But, like, yeah, he's got a few moments here in this one. But I don't know. Like, I feel I I wanted to lump a lot into this next sequence here. But, again, I just kind of want to get this bit over and done with because I just don't get it. (laughs) Like, it's just there. (laughs) I don't know if you've got much else to say on what it is. Great that we've got Han back. Here he is. I I always forget Han's actually in this movie a lot longer than I think. I think, like, he's in it pretty quickly before he gets killed off, spoiler alert. But he's actually in it for a lot longer than I remember. Yeah, he really becomes the main star. I mean, he he gets introduced into this movie in the Obi-Wan role. Like, Mm. about a third of the way through the movie, he's the one who sort of guides them and everything. But if you actually were to add up screen time, it's fair that he gets top billing because he probably has the most screen time in this movie, even if it's not necessarily his story. Um I think the downside to it is that because Han Solo became such a huge focus of this, Leia and Luke did have to go go on the sidelines a little bit. With Luke, it's an understandable reason. And actually, this will be a good point to kind of get into some of the stuff that was in the original George Lucas, Michael Arndt script. Um, because again, people don't understand that they think that they just discarded it completely, which isn't true. I mean... Michael Arndt retains a screenwriter credit for a reason. Uh, it was mostly little character things that were changed, but like the presence of Luke was a suggestion of Michael Arndt, but that was after he was sort of phasing his way out of the movie. Luke was always supposed to be a bigger part of this. It was supposed they were supposed to meet Luke at some point, like the Ray and Finn like characters that they originated from were supposed to meet Luke about halfway through the movie. And then Michael Arndt's issue was that every single time he did a rewrite, he just felt like as soon as you introduced Luke, you just stopped caring about the original characters, the new ones. And I guess as their way of countering that, they really only make it Han. Instead of you having to deal with Han and Leia and Luke, they're like, okay, let's just bring Han in there and then you don't really lose focus on the other characters. But there were other scenes of Leia's that were supposed to take place at this point in the movie, like deleted scenes uh, that deal with things that we wanted out of this movie. Like, tell us more about the Republic. How does the Republic respond to this? I mean, one of the most interesting ideas that's not really exploited in this movie is that the Resistance is sort of unofficially an army for the Republic. Um, They're unofficial in that I guess people would not accept that they have an army against this terrorist organization. So they sort of fund this resistance and Leia sort of plays both sides. So there's another character who we see one shot of. She's the one who's kind of like front and center right before the Republic planet is, you know, exploded, if that's a word, Um, where Leia actually sends her, who's supposed to be like one of her advisors to the Republic to try to get them to intervene. That would have been a much bigger part of the movie. And I feel like it needed to be in the movie, but at the same time, 
I guess the idea was, and maybe I kind of agree with this and kind of don't, is that too much of those original characters would make you care less about the new characters. Because mm. we've already said that, you know, it, it's an issue with how they promoted this movie holding the original characters up on a pedestal above the new ones. But the movies don't really show that. It is Ray, Finn, and Kylo Ren's story. Um, but I don't know. Like, do you, do you feel like if you'd had Leia or even Luke at this point in the movie, it would have been more of an issue for you, like, to accept the new characters? I mean, yes and no. I can see it. I think, um, I mean, it goes back to a point where we've brought up before about how uh, this sequel trilogy does struggle to kind of balance the old and the new because, you know, yeah, the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy you had three main people that you focus on. That was it. Here you've kind of, you're feeling like you've got to connect to Poe, Finn, and Ray, but then you've also got the oldies to come into it as well. And I mean, Han coming in, I think it's it's a great moment. Like it's a, that fantastic because that well, that got a clap at the cinema the first time yeah. I saw it. I remember seeing like the clap. Um, and it's a great moment because you are like, oh my god, there it is. Like it's it's kind of that moment you look for. But at the same time, I don't know if I really does get taken away from our new characters because I think they connect very well. I think there. So yeah. had you forced them all down our throat so early, yeah, probably. But at the same time, like if you introduce them straight away. Because, like, I mean, you, you've got to have that moment. They each have that moment. Like, Hans is here. Yeah. You're going to get the Leia moment soon. And then, obviously, Luke's right at the end. So, they all have that kind of reveal moment. But, um, I don't know. Maybe enough time has passed in the movie right now. Because we're about, like, 45 minutes into the movie here. We're, we're getting enough of at least Ray and Finn. Poe disappears for pretty much all this movie. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I can see both sides to it. And Poe also was supposed to die in that crash. Mm. Um, his character was meant to be a minor one. And then as they were developing it, it was J.J. Abrams who said, I really think that we should keep this character around. So they sort of found a way to write him back into the second half of the movie. His but he was face. supposed to die there too. Yeah, his beautiful face. It was, oh, we got to have that beautiful face later on in the movie. Oh, <laughs> God amazing. What a man. Whew. What a, the, uh, the Jimmy Smiths of modern cinema. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, a couple of things I want to talk about here. The, the Kylo Ren freakout thing. Some people were upset by this for the same reason that people were upset with Anakin Skywalker, you know, being a little bit of a crybaby. Let's put this into a real, like, a real world context here. You have a child, Anakin, who is taken and trained to be this you know perfect soldier from a young child at the point of being a young child would you not have certain aspects of your personality where you've never really been able to grow up because you sort of had to bypass childhood or teenage years or stuff like that yeah and that's what i really loved about the kylo ren temper tantrums we get here is you have to look at it in terms of he's 30 years old here he was 15 when he turned and killed all the Jedi. So Snoke took him at the point where he was this angry or, or what anybody else would have been like an angry, you know, depressed, um, you know, moody teenager. And he had to skip all that. You suddenly throw him and say, you're the most important guy in the galaxy. Now go win us a war. It would make total sense that he still he's never been able to actually move past this like you know teenage angst or whatever it is he has and that's what i like about it because it actually really makes sense that this 15 year old kid would still be stuck there like as far as maturity goes um one of my favorite things about his character is just these little temper tantrums he has and i also defended you know hayden christensen kind of 
being a little bit whiny and Luke being whiny and all these things. Uh, it just runs in a family, let's be honest. I, I want them to um, um, redub that bit when he's like crushing the console going, I hate them! I hate all of them! Yeah. <laughs> Consoles! They're coarse <laughs> and rough and irritating! It's, it's all General Hux's fault! <laughs> he's holding me back! Um, oh, when uh, they have the scene where, you know, he's i guess they're they're fixing the ship or the poison gas which really why is it there uh when he she's saying i gotta go back to jacuzzi why does everybody want to go back to jacuzzi kind of an annoying point here is where you like, do you have a boyfriend do you have a cute boyfriend uh, yeah like it's that. why would this well-trained stormtrooper be mr jealous you know teenage boy like I it's don't... different from the kylo ren thing he was trained as a child yeah, and it's frustrating because it's it's kind of like they just have to shoehorn in a, oh, is there a yeah. love story here? And I just don't, like, I talk about the chemistry. There's never that romantic, te- the only honest romantic tension or, like, the any sort of sexual chemistry I get between any character in this entire franchise, the new, like, the new trilogy, is Kylo Ren and Rey. I think there's something there. That, that to me, is it. I, I would even yep. see more yep. of sexual chemistry because I know a lot of people ship Poe and Finn. I see that more yep. than Ray and Finn. And I'm, I'm not joking. I legitimately do. So I don't... It just feels just tacked in because it's like, oh, well, we've got a, a male and a female who have just met each other. Of course, there's got to be an implication that they could bang. Yeah. And, well, and that's, I think, one of the other problems is that people keep looking for stuff like that in Star Wars. But that's not what Star Wars has ever been. There is no love story in A New Hope. There is an Empire Strikes Back. There's barely one in Return of the Jedi. In the entire original trilogy, the only love story that's there is a tragic one. It's 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 a disaster. Star Wars isn't about that. And that's why I would be opposed if they eventually do go that direction with uh, Kylo Ren and Rey. Even though I agree with you, I feel like it's sort of there for a reason to tease the audience a little bit. Oh, and it could just, like with the, well, we'll get to it more in Last Jedi. I think that it, it, it could be, more than anything, just sort of the same way that, you know, Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer kind of seem like they're hot for each other. And Top Gun, so you know? it's, not, <laughs> it's not meant to be literal, but it's meant to sort of represent something. And it's just not there. And this line doesn't need to be there because A, it doesn't make sense for his character to be like this flirty guy. And B, it goes nowhere. Yeah. And it is, I think, just a tease for the audience. And, and Star Wars fans don't need – not every movie needs a love story. Yeah. You know, exactly. and I, I think that's why I, I will be – more happy if this series ends with Ray ending up with nobody than anything else because isn't that exactly what you you don't want somebody to just be the, the the female character just end up being a love interest like this will be our first time to have a female character that's not about being a love interest or whatever but you know again just ranting um the yeah the scene where they're like oh no that one no the one I'm pointing at no look where I'm pointing it's just so good um <laughs> The the moment where uh, I think he says, you know, he's carrying a map to Luke Skywalker or whatever. I don't know if it was here or later on where Ray goes, Luke Skywalker. I thought he was a myth. It's like the biggest William Shatner overacting I've ever seen. And <laughs> there's there's several moments. Whenever Ray gets excited, it is not good. And, and, and again, I am not, not. I think Daisy really does incredible in so many different areas of this movie. But she was a 21 year old girl when she did this movie. And I'm going to use the same defense I use for Hayden Christensen in, uh, and even Natalie Portman at times in uh, uh, the prequels. They're 19, 20, 21 years old when they did this movie. So there's going to be some inexperience. But just, it always bothered me. I thought he was a myth. Hand gestures, whoa, big wide eyes. Every- I thought he was a myth. Like- I hate his myth. 
<laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> of course, they're rough for ear titty. It's all the myth's fault. Uh, Why did it make me believe it was yeah. a myth? Um, when uh, Han gets introduced, yeah, that moment where Chewie were home is just perfect. Like, there's no better way that you could have done that. Um, when uh, she says, oh, Han Solo, it's like, uh, you mean the smuggler or whatever? Oh, I thought he was... Like, they're going back and forth. And again, this is sort of that idea that really gets ditched from the movie about history just gets lost because they're removed from it and people aren't talking about this anymore. You know, Finn knows him as a war hero. Ray knows him as a smuggler. You know, both are technically correct, but like she doesn't know anything about the war. You know, like, these people aren't necessarily household names and they wouldn't be. I mean, you know, can you name any famous soldier from the Iraq war or Afghanistan or Vietnam or anything like that? Osama bin Laden. Um, maybe if they made a, if they oh, made a movie, but I don't know. Is there a, is there a Han Solo movie out there somewhere? Maybe starring like Alden Ehrenreich or something in the Star Wars universe? Maybe then he's famous? Possibly. Um, yeah, the Rathtar stuff is no good at all. Uh, the creatures aren't exciting. Like, you think this would be like the classic Star Wars monster, you know, mm. chase. And it, it it's so funny because I thought the exact same thing. It's, it's The moment I saw this, I'm like, this just feels like something out of Star Trek. But I do like the idea of these two rival criminal organizations that are both after him which uh, another example of a way i think this movie could have been handled better make them oh sorry uh, i'm getting gassy talking about all this <laughs> getting some of that millennium falcon <laughs> gas yeah exactly deathly gas woo <laughs> um moment of the I, franchise <laughs> I, can we count how many times we have burped on the air and just been too lazy to cut it out? <laughs> don't get me started on the farts. You don't even hear those half the time. But, uh... <laughs> Woo, it smells in here. Oh, that reminds me of a great moment I got to edit into the best of. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will kill me for it. But anyways. Um, uh, yeah, like it's just, it's so Star Trek. But like, I love these two clubs, like the, the Kanja Club and then the, the Guavi and Death Gang. They should have been a part of the movie later on. Like, I feel like we lose a lot of the tension when it's just the First Order searching after him. Like, what if this was the, the same way that, like, Uncar Plutt is coming after the droid, even when the First Order is right there? Why don't we have all these different, you know, rival organizations, you know, there at the same time? Like, when they're on Maz's planet, you have this Guavian Geth Gang showing up. You have the Kanja Club showing up, you know, uh, a little bit later on. I think they just should have been a bigger part of the movie and it would have made it more exciting. Just the idea that everybody needs this droid because there's this massive reward out there on both sides and really just show the resistance and first order playing each side. Um, the, uh, I can't remember which one it is, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the Kanja club, I think, uh, they're the ones who come in second. Um, they're actually, uh, from a movie. It's a, a series of Indonesian action movies called the raid, which I've never seen it. But I remember at the time they made a big deal about that they had like several actors from the raid all in the same sequence. So there was a reason why all these guys were cast. It was because J.J. Abrams was a big fan of this movie, The Raid, uh, and The Raid 2. Uh, the other guys I have no idea, but yeah, heavy Scottish accent here. Uh, I do love Han Solo. I think this is Han Solo's best scene in the whole movie. Uh, even That even includes his death scene. Sorry to spoil that. But... Uh, the way that he's playing them off is like, good to see you <laughs> when he's been caught in the lies. Like, I never made a deal with Kanja Club. Well, they tell that to Kanja Club. And he's like, oh, good to see you guys. And then it's like, uh, you know, uh, have you ever lied to you before? I let you down before? It's like, yeah, twice. 
And then you turn, you look at Chewie, and she was like, yeah. <laughs> what was this guy? <laughs> I just, Han Solo is at his best when he's trying to smooth talk his way out of something. And that's what the movie Solo and all that Aaron Wright got so right was just the constant, like, coming up with stories off the top of his head and, you know, spinning all these tales and just smooth talking and fast talking. And that's what Han Solo is all about. And I, don't, I didn't think that I really had faith that Harrison Ford would get this character because I mean Harrison Ford is I don't want the sound you know wrong but he really is a lazy actor I mean he's in the sense that he's in it for the money he will admit he's in it for the money you know he's not I don't want I don't care about the art there was a great episode of uh, an interview who was on Conan O'Brien where uh, they were talking about him playing this is before he had decided to do this they said you know is it true you might be playing Han Solo again he's like maybe and he goes, uh, you know, I think that it would be, uh, and Conan O'Brien says, it would be fun. And he goes, it would be more than fun. And he just starts like rubbing his fingers together. Like it's <laughs> going to be a lot of money. <laughs> and like, he just owns it. So I kind of thought like, this isn't a character he ever really cared that much for, but like he is Han Solo and is so different from Indiana Jones. It's just those little things. Like what was the second time? That's just, it, it, that's, that's what makes the character. And uh, you know, the, the Rathar sequence, even in that, like when they're they're escaping and they say, can you even go to lightsaber f- speed from here? And he's like, I never asked that question until, you know, it's too late or whatever it is. <laughs> he, he, he just, he still lives this character. Uh, he drops Moof Milker here too. I forgot mm, that this is where yeah. he originated. <laughs> um, and, and the idea that like Ray knows everything about this ship still. Again, like how much time does she spend in this? This isn't even her ship, and she said it's garbage, and she knows that there's like compressors on here and oh, fuel pumps and all that. Um, one thing that I think does work in the Rathtar sequence is the like just the layout of Han Solo's ship that you know you could be hiding underneath the floor, and then oh, there's all these doors, and if you close one of the doors at the right time. But I just feel like it's one of these things that it was a good idea, but it wasn't executed. And it's so funny that J.J. Abrams. When he made the Star Trek movies, he went out of his way, as he said, to inject a little bit of Star Wars into Star Trek. And now here he's doing Star Wars, and I think not even consciously injecting Star Trek in it, and it just doesn't work. The creatures aren't scary. No. This isn't an intense scene. It's not a bad scene. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just flat for some reason. And I want to be like on the edge of my seat as these things are like devouring people, but I'm just not. Um Maybe it would have played better if it wasn't Disney and we could have seen a little bit more, you know, violence of these these dangerous creatures. Um, yeah, and I guess it's just the the escape scene there where they go into hyperspace. I kind of had the same, you know, reaction you did. Like, do these rules make sense? You have to get coordinates to go into hyperspace. This thing hasn't gone into hyperspace. Who knows how long? Like, is it, is it working? And just the idea that you could just be inside a ship and do this, like, it doesn't really make sense to me. So I think it's a cool visual, though. I like the the, the part where it's most wide open on it, and then you just, you know, blow it into pieces, you go into space. But, yeah, amazing reintroduction to Han Solo, but I don't feel like any of this actually really feels Star Not even just the Rathar thing. I don't feel like anything about this sequence really feels Star Wars enough to me. Yeah, and no, I agree. And it's also like back when the Ray knows everything bit. It's like when she closes the door to to kill. Like, how does she know that that's a button? And like, how does she know that this is a button to let them out? It's just kind of 
Yeah, like, this isn't a ship she's ever been on before. You can't say, well, I helped rebuild it. Again, have a moment where she kind of hears a voice or something like that. Like, have Luke talking to her or something like that. Like, just something like that where she doesn't... Like, we have that in New Hope with Obi-Wan. Like, you know, use the force, Luke. Uh, Like, just kind of have something. You know, an awkward man wrapped in a towel that's just speaking to her somewhere across the galaxy. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, and, and I, I apologise before, I think I referred to those guys as Japanese. I didn't realise they were from Indonesia, so, Indonesia. uh, apologies Racist! For that. I know, sorry, there's my one, one per episode, the racist moment that you've all been waiting for. Um, Chewie gets shot, by the way, we should have mentioned that because it's going to have a fun moment soon Oh yeah, Chewie choking <laughs> Finn. Now we have the first glimpse of Starkiller Base. Um, wow. here it is. They've basically got an entire planet and dug a giant cannon into it, right? Like, cool. Um, but now we're going to have the first Snoke scene of the movie because, we, again, we're going to set all these big questions up. This is the first of the trilogy. We're going to get people excited. There's no way they're just going to make this person nothing and anything like that. Like, no way. <laughs> this is the big bad of the entire new franchise. Um, so Kylo Ren and General Hux uh, talking to Snoke. For the first time, uh, Andy Circus. Am I not mistaken? This is Andy Circus. Yep. yep. Awesome. Of course it is. He's always playing these types, but we like him. Good thing about Andy Circus, though, is that while he plays these types of characters all the time, like if you didn't know that this was the same guy as Gollum, like he does a bloody what? good job. So I mean, oh, yeah. I think I don't even think Mallory knew that this was the same guy. So yeah, awesome. So um, he gives permission to blow up the Republic. Or whatever it is. Um, which, again, I'll get to this in a minute because there's a big problem around this. Uh, but then all of a sudden, this is where we get the big reveal. Uh, so Kylo Ren is going to speak uh, purely here to Kylo. Uh, Snoke and Kylo Ren is going to have by themselves alone, alone time. And, yeah. of course, <laughs> you know, we, we find out that the droid they're looking for is on the Millennium Falcon along with your father. Han Solo. Han Solo. The way, like, this is so much like the volcanic plan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, again, like, this is not how people talk. Like, it's just yeah. your dad. He's, who's my dad again? Like, oh, reveal to the audience. Um, I think, in all fairness, I remember, like, the first time you kind of get this, like, yeah, it's a bit of a plot twist, but you kind of also expect that Kylo Ren's related to somebody. Like, it's just, it's Star Wars. Everyone's related to everyone somewhere. Um, and then, you know, Kylo Ren, he means nothing to me. Uh, and without your training, uh, you know, I would not be here. And I, the thing that I also like about the Kylo Ren arc is this whole flip side of, you know, Luke and Anakin in the first two trilogies. Oh, they're going to get turned to the dark side. Now we've got the, I will not turn to the light side. Like, it's kind of yeah, cool. Exactly. Like, it's just kind of, it's yeah. a unique little take on it. The thing that frustrates me about this whole, like, destroy the Republic, this is literally the only mention of this we get, right? So then in the next yeah. sequence where we've got them destroying it, like, I, for one, I remember when I did the episode with Noah, like, we were so confused. I thought this was Coruscant. I thought they were, because it was like a city yeah. planet, and, like, it just, it, I'm thinking, like, okay, well, that makes sense. Like, Coruscant, they want to get rid of the prequel shit. Um, here it is. <laughs> but, like, there's just no reference to this, and it's just kind of like, oh, you know, they're so evil because they're going to destroy it. And I watched a a theory video on YouTube saying how the First Order is more successful than the Empire because they threaten and they just do, whereas what did the Death Star do? It blew up one planet and maybe a lot of people in the galaxy didn't know about it, which, okay, might have been slightly true, but it just make, there's no background to this. At least when they destroy Alderaan, it's kind of you understand why they're doing it and they've got to test the capabilities to it and it's all this and all that, whereas here it's just like, 
that's the Shredder's Republic. Mm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, that's basically what it is. Uh, obviously, they're not quite destroying it just yet, but we'll get to that. Um, so after they're, they're in, well, they're in hyperspace on the Falcon and Ray knows everything about it. Of course she does. Um, cause she's communicating with stupid droid woman. Um, and then like Han's all impressed that she knows everything. Um, great. I, I don't get like, again, we talk about the dynamic of Finn and Ray falling for each other so quickly in friendships. Han's doing the same here with Ray. In like 10 minutes, she's going to offer her a job. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just a start. Again, this whole movie takes place in what, like 24 hours? Um, don't you a- love, though, that let's just, let's just throw it out there. Now, don't you love, though, that there were people who seriously said, I think that Ray is Han Solo and Le- Leia's daughter, yeah. which explains why both of them are like, hey, what's your name? Oh, yeah. nice to meet you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Because, you know, Carrie Fisher was just having secret love affairs in the background or something like that. Yeah. Um, also, I love the bit when Finn's fixing Chewie and, like, Chewie grabs him by the throat or whatever. Yeah. It's like, this thing's almost killed me six times, and, which is fine. <laughs> And also I love Chewie yelling at BB-8, like, and BB-8's like, <laughs> just like, goes across. I'm kind of sad, Chewbacca looks fantastic for his age, again. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the aging does does really well in 30 years. Um, we get another moment of, hey, remember this from the original trilogy, uh, where we see the chess <laughs> on the table, because, and of course, Chewie looks up slightly, because, you know, nostalgia. Uh, yeah. And this is when we get kind of the moment with the map uh, on BB-8. We see that the piece is missing again. My whole point here is that this is just stupid because you can still navigate to this goddamn point. You don't need the rest of the map. Like, it's just, it's stupid. And again, if Luke doesn't want to be found, why has he put a map for him to be found? Like, is mm-hmm. that ever explained? Um, yeah, exactly. We do get a nice little moment, though, of harm when he's kind of like, you know, like, oh, I was sceptical of the Force, so, you know, I you know I didn't believe it, but it's true. It's all of it's true. Uh, so I kind of like that little moment there when he's kind of doing that. Yeah. So then they're going to go to uh, visit a friend of his uh, to get some more help with this uh, to possibly find out more of the map. Now, what's this planet called? Taka- oh, I don't even ta- know. Takadana? Takadana? Takadana, yeah. Look at look at us, our Star Wars planet. We don't even care about yeah. the planets. They're it's all the Mars's same. planet. Who cares? Mars's planet. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, oh, and we also get the explanation here of how Millennium, uh, how Han was able to find the Millennium Falcon. So, kind of, you know, yeah. got to at least ex- explain that. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go meet Moz for the first time. We land on this planet, which again, a uh, bit of forest, bit of lake. It's just Naboo mixed with Endor. Sure. Um, Han gives Ray a gun because movie, um, and they walk up to the castle. This is a moment I think I mentioned before. You see like all the flags from the galaxy, and if you look, you see yeah. the uh, flag that C three PO was carrying in the pod race, which is a cool little throwback. And Moz is so amazing that she's got her own dictator statue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> why does she have her own dictator statue? Is that is that ever, you know, a, a thing that's ever explained? Um. Yeah, uh, we get a, a sort of a scene in here, of course, a pretty important scene, I guess, with Kylo Ren when he's, you know, I will finish what you started, and we see the burnt, charred helmet of Darth Vader, which, did he go down to Endor and get this? Did Luke yeah. just leave this behind? Uh, like, I don't know. But, uh, you know, uh, it's I, I kind of like it. You know, obviously, this conflict in him, he wants to finish what he started. What, what did Anakin actually start? 
Uh, wasn't it technically the Emperor that started the, <laughs> the Empire? <laughs> Extermination of the Jedi, he started. Uh, the sand. I will fix all yeah. the sand <laughs> in the galaxy. Don't you worry, Grandfather. Um, That's what he was really doing on Jakku. Yeah, exactly. Enough with the sand already. Um, we go into the cantina sequence. I mean, sorry, this new sequence, completely original. Uh, <laughs> absolutely new. The Jizz Whalers are back. Um, and we meet Moz. Han Solo! Ugh. Um, Old bumhole eyes herself. This um, is the worst character in this whole trilogy and maybe of the entire series. I'm sorry. No, we don't meet her until the next movie. Um, <laughs> I, no- I nothing Moz. Like, I just... Moz is there. Cool. Moz. But then, like, she goes nowhere again in the next one. She's got a, a holographic moment. Cool. It's, again, it's a setup of what's this new thing going to be? And then it just goes... Nowhere. I do love the moment when it's like, where's my boyfriend? I do love that Wookiee. (laughs) I hope they get together at the end of uh, The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) Well, it's just a competition because there's one of the the nurses that are tending to Chewie later on that he's kind of (laughs) getting it on with. Yeah. And this, of course, is Lapita Nyong'o. So, like, big name here that they've got. Uh, And I like Lapita Nyong'o, but it's big game that they hired after everybody criticized them for not having any women in the movie <laughs> <laughs> but like it's, it's kind of like it's a great role for her because like i picture this as being like a, an older you know woman like kind of you don't you don't realize that this is you know lapita nwongo does i think a great job here uh, um uh, you don't agree i'll oh well i'll save it you continue um just moments here when they're around the table and finn gets there and it's like you don't know what i've seen like it kind of it feels a bit weird the way you know like you don't know what i've like well, we don't either finn like i mean like this is this is one of those moments i feel where like we should be connecting with him because oh my god he's had a terrible life he's had to torture people he's in the the first order but we don't know what he's seen like we've legitimately seen as much as everyone else he admits uh, to being in one battle all he's seen is a couple of clogged <laughs> toilets like seriously wait but of course that's going to help him colin because later on he's going to know where the reactor is for the circular base <laughs> and all this he knows everything he becomes ray uh, I do like it when he, um, Moz kind of makes her eyes go bigger and then kind of like, like what's she doing? What, what, what's she doing now? What, like, what, what's she doing right now? Kind of like leaning up towards him. Um, so Finn is going to basically leave with some other people because he doesn't want to go back to the resistance base. So he's told, go with them. They'll take you wherever you want. Keeps Han Solo's gun. Cool. Uh, and then, of course, because Ray and Finn, this... Beloved iconic movie couple that have known each other for about eight hours. Ray's gonna <laughs> tell him even. off. Ray's gonna tell. How can you? De- how can you leave me? It's like, dude, I just fucking met you. Like, <laughs> back off. Like, come on now. You're getting too clingy. Um, but again, because we need to care about these two so much. Um, and this all leads to Ray walking down a corridor and she's being called to something. What? What is this? What's going on? She goes into a, a room and there's a box. <gasps> what's in the box? It's a... What's in the box? It's a lightsaber! And she gets transformed and straight away she's having visions and she's in a corridor and the corridor starts tilting and she falls down. There's rocks all around her. Not sand though, because that's coarse and rough and irritating. It gets everywhere. She sees yeah. R2-D2 and a person with a skeletal hand it starts raining and then there's lightsabers there's people dying 
she's all confused, just like the audience, because this is setting up something awesome, which we've got, I'm sure, going to get revealed in the next movie what all this means. You know, just get excited, people, when you first saw this, of all the exciting things that were going to come. She then turns, and what does she see? A little girl getting kidnapped and a ship taking off from all that coarse and rough and irritating sand. No! No! Uh, and then all of a sudden she's in a dark forest and there's snow and uh, Kylo Ren with a lightsaber and she falls down and we hear the voice and it's later revealed to be that of Obi-Wan. These are your first steps, which is a cool thing. Like, I didn't notice that first of all. I don't know if you noticed that straight away, but um, you can hear it when I think you know. Do you know how they did that? Uh, is that the, the Ewan McGregor part or the Alec Guinness part? Well, both, because they actually combined it. Did they not? Did Ewan McGregor not recall that? No, he did. Well, the way it is is that when you hear the name Ray, mm. it's actually Alec Guinness. They they cut him saying the word afraid ah. and just you, you just keep the Ray part in there and then you and McGregor does these are your first steps. So they actually made it both Alec Guinness and you and McGregor. That's cool. And of course this led to speculation. Obi-Wan's her father, Obi-Wan's her grandfather. Oh. All that sort of stuff. Um which, of course, I think is, is hopeful that we might get a Ewan McGregor appearance in The Rise of Skywalker. Um, and, of course, this is where Moz comes in and, oh, you were called to it. And that was Luke's um, lightsaber and his father's before that. The same lightsaber that we saw falling down the hole in uh, Cloud yeah. City. And, of course, we get the epic teaser of when Han comes along. How did you get that? That is our story for another time. <laughs> yeah. When's that time going to be? We're waiting, Moz. Uh, <laughs> What if she just says the same thing? Like the final scene of the Rise of Skywalker. So, Maz, you gonna tell us a story about how you got a light, lightsaber? <laughs> that is a story for another time. This is just James Oh God! Uh, what is she like? Oh, she's calling to you, and you must take this lightsaber. Like Jesus Christ! If I walk into an antique store and I pick up a musket, and I'm like, oh, I had a vision. Is the person in the antique store going to go? Well, that must be calling you to it. Take it for free. Like Jesus Christ! This is like a a history piece of artifact, Mars, and you're giving it away to a random girl. And this is another problem with Mars is that they set it up like she somehow can use the force but then she says in the scene i'm no jedi but i know the force like that doesn't sound like a person who who can use the force that sounds like i know of the force like they don't even tell us enough about maws for any of this to make sense is this meant to be like what's his face in rogue one the the ninja dude who um doesn't he's not a jedi but he uses the force like is this kind of a guardian of the wolves (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, this is that's uh, I haven't really talked about it, haven't we? Kind of, that's a lot of apparently what George Lucas's scripts were going to be for the, yeah. the sequel trilogy. Um, so yeah, like, it is a weird thing, isn't it? Kind of that you do have these other beings in the universe that all of a sudden are Force users but aren't necessarily Jedi. Um, Ray, for whatever reason, is scared because again, reasons. Again, this is where you need to explain this a little bit better. Like maybe go through those visions we keep talking about, like having hearing voices and stuff. Because like, this just makes why would like okay, you've had a scary vision. Ooh, I'm sorry, but like if I'm being given a lightsaber, like fuck yeah, I'll have it. Like cool, <laughs> not just run away into the forest. Um, she even says like I'm never touching that thing ever again. Like really, in your entire life, that's the worst thing you've ever seen. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of girls I used to see said that to me, so I mean, you know, it's kind of... <laughs> fair enough. I mean, to me, it hit home. Uh, and I might just kind of cap it here. So then we've got our, we're back on Starkiller Base, and 
Just, I mean, I don't really know, Colin, if we knew the First Order were evil. I just I just don't know. Because, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, they had TIE Fighters and Star Destroyers, which maybe resembled the Empire, not sure. Kylo Ren, Black Helmet, speaks with a bit of a muffled voice. Don't know if that resembled anyone. But uh, let's really hit it home by making them Nazis. Just in case you didn't know, because who are the most <laughs> evil people ever? The Nazis. So let's have General Hux... As much as I'm bagging this scene out, I do actually love General Hux's speech here, just how fucking over the top he goes. Oh, yeah. But then he's just like, I will destroy the robot and burn! Something, something dark side. Just having an aneurysm as he's there. And then this, of course, all leads to Zig Heil from all the stormtroopers because reasons. <laughs> Why do they have to salute him like freaking Nazis? So then let's turn on Starkiller base and pew, massive giant laser comes. Visually, it looks great. There's a big red glow. Trees on the planet are getting destroyed. For some reason, thousands of stormtroopers can just stare there at this giant beam. Like, I get told to wear SPF 30 if I'm out in the sun for five minutes because I'm going to get cancer. <laughs> These guys are literally next to a giant freaking laser beam that's going to travel across the galaxy and blow up a planet, but they're okay. Uh <laughs> Stormtrooper uniforms. Terrible against Ewok sticks, but great against sun protection. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, General Hux is basically coming in his panties right now as he sees his giant... I love that look on his face where he's like, oh, it's so beautiful. And also the shot of Kylo Ren kind of like on the bridge of the ship as we see this laser going across the galaxy. Now... Okay, it destroys the Republic. We've talked about this. I, I, I feel nothing. I feel no emotion here like the music exactly it's all like oh my god all these millions of people are being killed oh boo-hoo because they like wipe out a couple of moons on the way and pew 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 and then we're seeing people uh finn and everyone's looking up the sky like oh my god not the republic those poor innocent politicians that we don't give a shit about but there's no emotion like we don't even see older on and we have emotion we don't like Mm -hmm. even before the prequels we actually saw it for the first time we don't see it and we actually care for those people with that one scene with obi-wan where it's like you know i it's like i heard millions of voices cry out in silence and you know like that is epic here it's just let's stare up at the screen and at the sky and then han solo's got angry old man look and then finn's all like oh no they destroyed the republic i must fight for the resistance now like because you know i'm great and just it's just odd it's just weird. I feel no emotion to it. This is going to lead into our big battle here, and we'll, we'll kind of cut before then because there's stuff going on. Kylo Ren has managed to land on this planet in two seconds because he has a faster ship in the galaxy, apparently. Um, but, like, and we also talk about the logistics of Starkiller Base. The Death Star could literally fly to a planet in hyperspeed and just go pew and then yeah. bugger off. <laughs> like, this is freaking Starkiller. That has to send the slowest goddamn lasers across the galaxy. <laughs> Like, I mean, they're just going... And how does it go that fast? I know. <laughs> like, what's it doing? And why are they just kind of giant singular laser beams? Like, the Death Star had, like, a continuous pulse of a big-ass laser, which is like, pew, pew, yeah. pew, boom! They didn't have to recharge it. It takes, like, ten days to recharge this thing. The Death Star could blow up a planet within two seconds. This is 30 years mm-hmm. in the future. How has technology gotten worse? Um, not a fan of the Starkiller base. It logistically makes no no sense, and somehow they've gotten it worse than the Death Star. But um, you talked about the music before. Uh, I'd probably agree with you as well, because they've kind of got this music here. But 
there's nothing besides the Kylo Ren music, I'd say, in the sequel trilogies that really stands out as a... Like, hum a Star Wars Disney trilogy theme in your head. I, I can't, so... You don't, know, you don't like Ray's music? Ah, oh, yeah, I guess. But, I mean, again, I'd have to listen to it to go, oh, yeah, I remember it. Like, right now, I cannot picture it. I'd have to be refreshed. The only one I can remember is... Dun, 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 dun. So, anyway. I think this should be more epic. It's just something falls flat yeah. here. So I'll leave it there before the battle. Um, I want to talk about it now just because I can't wait any longer. Logistically, the most absurd thing about Starkiller Base is that it drains its power from the sun, <laughs> which they do before the time this movie is over. So is this a one-use weapon? Like, let it drain the power from the sun. They're never going to be able to use it again. You can't fly a planet across space. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand what use this thing is. They drain an entire sun on the second use. Like, I just wanted to know the meaning for that one. Okay, so we're going to sink billions of dollars into this project. Trillions of dollars, Slight problem, though. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get two shots at it. Oh, that's enough for me, but only two shots. Yeah, yeah, you know, good. Is there any way we can maybe, I don't know, uh, put a little bit more budget in the the R&D budget? And we'll see if maybe we could put, like, some rockets on the back of the planet to move us somewhere else to another sun. No, 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 no. Let's not blow our budget here, okay? Let's be fiscally responsible, okay? Two uses is enough. We only need two twice. Size destroy the, the Republic, destroy whoever comes after us. That's all we need. Environmentally you friendly. Can't, you cannot fly a planet anywhere else. So what is this thing supposed to do? And it, seriously, it just... You summed it up so perfectly when you said, why do we care? We've barely been told what the Republic is. We haven't been introduced to any characters in this Republic. We don't even understand how this Republic works. And when we were going through the the, the original trilogy, we actually pinpointed something that wasn't necessarily an issue, but something that the, the, the standalone movies, Rogue One and Solo, really helped sell which is the idea that this is a real civil war because we don't see how the Empire or the Rebellion affects anybody in the galaxy other than the people in the Empire and the Rebellion. Luke is the only representation we have of that. The one thing the prequels did really well is that they sold... You may say, oh, they had too many political scenes, but you understood what the threat was of a separatist movement. You understood what the threat was of a trade federation. You understood what the threat was of the Jedi, for goodness sakes. What threat is the resistance or the first order? You said, okay, so are the first order bad guys? We don't we honestly don't know. We saw them go into one village and burn a few people. That's hmm. all we've seen them do. We haven't seen the resistance do anything differently. And like even in The Last Jedi, we don't really get a moment where people are like, I can't believe the entire govern governing body of the galaxy has collapsed. Like, we'll go all the way back to Man of Steel. We we pinpointed the issue in the Man of Steel recap that we don't see how the world responds to aliens arriving. And then they corrected that in Batman vs. Superman. Where is just one character who can represent the Republic so we care when it's destroyed? Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's, it's frustrating because, like, there's a lot to like about this movie. But when you actually have to think about the story, it is... It's a weaker story than The Last Jedi, I would argue, because the things we have here are just recycled, 
and they don't make sense. And the things in The Last Jedi are not recycled, and they don't make sense. So, I mean, in a way, I almost want to go with the original doesn't make sense things, because at least you could excuse it and say, well, you know, yeah, well, it's, they, it's they tried just, something new. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, we can sit here and bag out Last Jedi as much as we want, but we can't deny they tried something new. And I'm just going to yeah. say this weirdly, because at the time we released this, you will get this reference. At the time of recording this, you don't, because you haven't seen it yet. To me, it's exactly the same with Terminator Dark Fate. Like... Genesis is a worse movie than Dark Fate, but at least they tried something different enough that you can understand why it's terrible. So I yeah. think kind of like it's it's interesting with these movies how they take this direction. And yeah, I think you 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 summarize you're summarizing it perfectly there the way you pointed out that it's just it is a weaker story than The Last Jedi, weirdly enough. And Starkiller Base, I mean, it looks exactly like the Death Star. It operates the same as the Death Star, except how do these blaster bolts suddenly split off and go in all different directions? And is the Republic all in one solar system? Yeah. Like, any country anywhere in the world has a failsafe system. There's something. Like, there's got to be a senator somewhere on another planet who suddenly assumes control of the Republic. They were just all in one place at one time. Well, Have then you, you deserve the... to die, Republic. Like, that's idiotic. Where's your designated survivor? Where's your Kiva yeah. Sutherland hanging out in room yeah. 27C? Like, come on. I want Kiva Sutherland yeah. to be in Star Wars. Actually, that would be fucking epic. Make it happen, Disney. Yeah. But anyway. But you need the, the Republic to matter. And if you're going to destroy an entire government, show us the ramifications of that. They just are destroyed and that's it. That should be a moment that takes this war to the next level. And we never see this war go beyond the First Order and the Resistance fighting each other. And it doesn't affect anybody else. Like, it's just, it's two movies where they blew it. A um, couple of uh, extra things I wanted to talk about here. The uh, we, we mentioned how there's certain things where, uh, like, uh, you know, um, well, here's a perfect example. Why we said with Ray, okay, well, why is he surprised by Ray fighting if he works for Captain Phasma? Why does Finn have a moment where, with Chewie when Chewie's talking and Han responds to him? You can understand that thing? Hmm. You've been hanging around a girl who speaks BB 8 E's for the entire day, and, and it's a bigger surprise that he can speak an alien language. Mm. Like it's 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 another thing where it's just like it's just stupid. It it's a funny little line. But then it doesn't make any sense. Um, I did, I just want to go back uh, a second ago where um, he also uh, mentioned the thing about wasn't he a war hero? And he turns to Chewie and Chewie just sort of shrugs like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the, the thing with Luke and the map is, I think I already mentioned this, it needed to be a bigger part of the movie. It's mentioned, they do nothing with it. The George Lucas, Michael Arndt script was very focused on this map. And this, the climax, this is going to sound very familiar to people who have watched you know, trailers for uh, Rise of Skywalker, the climax was supposed to take place on the ruins of the Death Star that had sunken in the ocean, where they were going to fight, retrieve the map from there. And there is even still something about that with R2-D2, which we'll get to later on, why R2-D2 shuts down or whatever, uh, that kind of tied into that, because the R2-D2 role never really changed. But to me, that's interesting. Whether you want to reject all of George Lucas' ideas or not, the idea that even if it, didn't, it wasn't going to be the Death Star, 
make their mission finding this map. Maybe you have to kill Starkiller base at the same time, but you also have to find this map. Don't just have it be, oh, where is the map? And then suddenly it just shows up at the end. I kept getting really excited every time they mentioned the map of this movie because I thought this would be like the search for the Lost Ark and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's just, it's a map that doesn't matter to the movie. Mm-hmm. So like, if if they had made, even if you're not going to reveal it to the end, let's let it be a cheap ending that the map just ends up being something that R2-D2 had in him the whole time. But make the characters fight for this map. That That's what their battle's supposed to be about, and nobody cares in this movie about the map. Um, I, I do love the, the hesitation that uh, Han has when he's talking about Luke, where it's like, well, you knew him? He goes, he almost laughs like, yeah, I knew him. Like, you get... There's a little bit of tension there. It's like, hey, you uh, kind of ruined my family, Luke. Not to hold it against, <laughs> but uh, it's a little bit your fault. Uh, which is true because th- we know this broke up his marriage. And I'm sure that their relationship would be very strained if, you know, uh, Han and Luke, you know, um, were to you know, meet at this point. Um, I also love Finn's dynamic with Harrison Ford here. Uh, I love when we will do a character name mixed with a real person's name. So John Boyega and Han Solo. Uh, <laughs> but when he keeps calling him Solo and he's just like, did you just call me Solo? Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he's like, I'm a big deal in the resistance. And then he's like, listen, big deal. And he just nicknames yeah, a big yeah. deal. <laughs> Women always. He just gets it right away. Um that also was supposed to be something that was revealed early on where Ray was going to know that he was a stormtrooper and they decided to kind of leave it as one of the few mysteries for later in the movie. I didn't um, mention that, Moff- did I, on the planet? That's when he reveals to Ray that he's, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Big plot uh, twist. Clearly it's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Maz's planet again, it's just so bland looking. Like, go somewhere new. Uh, the cantina, I mean, I think that they almost oversell it. With him saying, it, whatever you do, don't stare. They're like, what, what, any of it. And then you go in there and it's like, okay, these look like the same aliens from the cantina sequence. Like, show us something that's like really scary looking maybe. I mean, there's a couple of cool looking creatures. Like, I love the little mosquito ones. Mm. They're like red mosquitoes. And then this giant blob of a guy who's with this really skinny girl. Like, there's some cool ideas there. But like, I don't know why Han Solo's like, oh, this is going to be the shocking thing you've ever seen. Shocking. And then it's. Yeah, shocking, stunning. It's the most <laughs> stunning thing you'll ever see. Um, I'm going to completely disagree with you on Moz. I think Lapita Nyong'o is totally wrong for this or did a terrible job. Because I don't buy this as being a thousand... Yoda is like, ah, I am a thousand years old. And she's like, hi, I'm Lapita Nyong'o in a Star Wars movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's how That's Lapita the- Nyong'o walks into <laughs> every room. Hi, I'm Lapita Nyong'o. <laughs> At the Academy Awards! <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the Pinanawango. Hi everyone, I'm the Pinanawango, presenting your best actor nominees! <laughs> I nailed that Lapinawango impression, didn't I? Oh, I was there. Uh, I thought she was on the line. I, I was like, wow, Lapinawango's on the line. I'm, I'm honored. I pulled some Lepina strings, Wongo! people. Go. <laughs> I want you, I want you to do that now for now when you want. I'm Call of Duty and I've arrived for work. <laughs> With Can we just retake the beginning. Retake the beginning of this episode. Hi, my name is Colin Hilding, and I'm here to podcast. <laughs> we are joined today by Lapinawango. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just can never 
her now without thinking of her walking into her. I'm the Peter Wango! <laughs> I can't wait till we get to the moss scene. The first time I've been excited to do a moss scene now for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> so the real introduction here is we just hear a regular voice going Han Solo I'm Lepiroko <laughs> now that you say the Han Solo which is like Han Solo the legitimate Lepiroko <laughs> see it's, it's sounding more realistic now isn't it <laughs> see I told you she's brilliant in this role like I'm telling you I this is why because she's La Pena <laughs> <laughs> oh coming soon in 2021 the Oz Network does La Pena month <laughs> We gotta make that happen now. Done. Renee Russo month in 2020, followed by Lapita Wongo month. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, I don't buy <laughs> Moss as an old lady. <laughs> oh. <coughs> Can we also just mention, uh, getting serious here for a second? Can we also just mention that, like, there is nothing more that screams this was a last minute character that we had no clue was going to be in the movie than the look of Moz. Like, you have this CGI character that is expressionless. The whole point about doing CGI is that you would have the ability to, for a character to emote. Her mouth doesn't move, her eyes don't move, her body doesn't move. It's, I mean, puppets would look better. There are a Return of the Jedi puppets that look... The Sock Puppet in Empire hmm. was more expressive than Maz is. It's just, it's a terrible design for the character. And There's just some of these little stupid quirky things she does, like climbing across the table. I'm like, why is she doing that? Like, and even they ask, what is she doing? Like, I don't know, but it isn't good. It's just bizarre. It's such a lapidolongo thing to do. <laughs> Seriously though, like when um whatever it was the honest trailer or the one of the ones where they basically point out that her eyes look like assholes. Um yeah. once you see that you never stop seeing that. So Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just it's a terrible character too because like it's not Yoda and I feel like she's one of these characters that just forced down your throat, like I'm so wise and I know so many things, but that's a story for another time Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Pinawongo and I'm a busy woman. Exactly. <laughs> you get my point. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's just an annoying character. It's a poorly designed character. I don't feel like the, the voice works. I think they, there's a million things they could have done here. And she's supposed to be in the movie later on. Like, there's that shot in the original trailer where Maz's hand is handing a lightsaber over to, I think it's Lair or something like that. Uh, and they cut her from the movie. Like, she just disappears this point. So even J.J. Abrams knew that, like, this character isn't necessarily working. Uh, I don't know. I think she's supposed to be in Rise of Skywalker. I mean, we got to have some explanation about how she got that lightsaber, because that, that's a story for another time. Probably a story for The Mandalorian at this point. They're just going to keep pushing it. Um, And she's supposed to be a 1,000 years old, too. So, like, the idea that she's like, I lived through the Sith. I lived through the Empire. Shouldn't the Jedi be included in that, too? 
Mm. Like, let's be honest. The First Order, are they really different from the Jedi? Like, Luke brings up a good point when we get to The Last Jedi. Um, the Jedi would steal children, not steal, but take children from a very young age and train them to be soldiers. They would wipe them of emotions. They would wipe them of attachments and stuff like that. Exactly the same thing the First Order is doing. I just, I, I feel like that would have been a better tie if they, if they had any clue where they were going in a second movie. They probably would have made it a point for her to bring up some of the flaws with the Jedi too. Um, with uh, the the I guess the most famous deleted scene in this movie, I, I'm sure. Have you seen it? The one where Chewie rips Unkar Plutt's arm off. I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. it it's pretty epic. Um, and this is one of the reasons why I say I feel like these these gangs that were after Han Solo should have been here too because it's a missed opportunity that while well, you have the the First Order coming to get the droid. You have these two different spies in Maz's bar here. One who's immediately like, contact the First Order and tell them their droids here. And then somebody else, contact the Resistance, tell them their droids here. Have, you know, this guy, this junk trader, you know, Simon Pegg show up. Have these, you know, these gangs that were after Han Solo show up. Everybody wants this droid. Everybody wants this map or whatever it is. That is something that would make this movie more exciting and more original. Uh, but... Simon Pegg's character, Uncar he does show up. He tries to basically, you know, hold Ray at gunpoint or something like that. And Chewie comes and he kind of like starts picking on Chewie a little bit. And Chewie literally rips his arm out of his socket, which is what we were always promised that a Wookiee would do. And obviously it was cut for, you know, Disney reasons. But <laughs> you see the shot of his arm getting ripped off and thrown onto a table, which is just amazing. Um, I wish that had, everybody wishes that that moment had been in the movie still. Uh, yeah, like Finn just sort of running here. It does sort of just happen out of nowhere. He goes from Mr. Happy-Go-Lucky guy to, you know, oh, you don't know anything about the First Order. And then he's, you know, going to start working for these guys to go where? Like, he doesn't have anywhere to go. And yeah, like the, the goodbye scene that he has where he admits that he's a Stormtrooper, like, this might resonate more if these characters had known each other for longer than 20 minutes. Um, and can, can we also just point out another issue to go along with the whole 1,150 years for the Millennium Falcon to get to Cloud City. Um, they leave the planet Jakku. They do not enter hyperspace. Han Solo is right there. Uh, like how, They can be very far from Jakku. Mm. And yet he's like, Jakku? What was it doing on Jakku? I, wouldn't that have been his guess? Like, there's no travel in this movie. We don't even know if they really go, like, I guess they go into light speed, you know, here, but, like, how long are they in light speed? And then when we see the First Order, the Starkiller base weapon, it even presents a bigger problem because this blast that's coming through the sky is visible in the Republic, in Maz's planet, and wherever the First Order are, all at the same time, which geographically would place them, like, in the same solar system if it made sense, but... You know, tons more rents to come on Starkiller Base, and what a terrible idea that was. <laughs> um, yeah, just the vision scene. I, I like the vision scene. I do feel like they go a little bit too far. I feel like it should be maybe a little bit more, I don't know, faded, uh, ghostly. It just sort of is like she's dropped into these very clear visions, but it's disconnected enough that it kind of like, it leaves the audience even guessing. Like, you, you get what happened with Luke and the other Jedi there. Um, the most important scene that everybody seems to overlook as people still try to claim, oh, maybe she's, 
you know, uh, a granddaughter of Obi-Wan, like you said, because Obi-Wan saw what having children and getting married did to Anakin. So he figured out, <laughs> let me just do that, too. Same reason why people are like, oh, well, she's probably Luke's daughter. So Luke is going to see what this did to his father and make the same mistake. Uh, but the most important thing as to why she would have no connection, at least to any of these characters, is during the scene with Maz, A, her memory is this ship leaving and her there with Uncar Plett. And he's just, come on, girl. So Luke or whoever is going to leave her here for her protection and leave her in the hands of this scuzzy you know, uh, <laughs> junk dealer, it doesn't make any sense. Which is why it still makes the most sense that the plan was always from the beginning to have her family be ones that abandoned her. Because we see whoever left her there clearly didn't care about her. They left her with the sleaziest guy on the planet. And to even stress that even more, when Maz is talking to her, she says, those that you're looking for, they're never coming back. Referring to her family. They're never coming back for you says, but there's somebody else who could, and then that's when she says Luke. Clearly meaning Luke is not connected to her family, and that Luke had nothing to do with her being left there, and that her family will never come up again, which is why I honestly believe it was the plan from the beginning that she was supposed to be nothing, just junk traders or whatever who sold their daughter for booze money. Um, why I think this is important, you know, we'll get into more in The Last Jedi. Why I like the idea we'll get into more in The Last Jedi uh, I think that shows why it makes sense, and uh, there's no reason why you should have more than one character that has a connection. You know, you do the thing with Kylo Ren here, which was was still a great reveal. Your father, Han Solo, great reveal. But are you going to do that with every character in the movie? And it just feels <laughs> like the thing with Ray's parents became so overblown because of the way fans responded to this, because they expected at this point, they expect there's going to be some "I am your father" twist. And they expected that because Ray was the character we weren't told any background on, that it would be her. But, like, I feel like the fans just blew this so out of proportion that the filmmakers were almost stuck with, like, well, we planned for her to literally be nothing. Should we come up with something bigger now? Oh, let's just stick to our guns. And I, they'll probably find some way to get, you know, get themselves out of that. But I, I think it was supposed to be the plan from the beginning. And I, I think the fans just have sort of made something out of nothing here with with who Ray's parents are. Her parents weren't the thing. Who she is, I think, is important. But I think even this movie very clearly set up her parents don't matter. I Look, I, I can't disagree because I think my most recent watch of The Last Jedi, I think kind of I wasn't as disappointed with the whole reveal. The thing, though, that like I think you've touched on is the constant mentions to it. And then even just the way The Last Jedi and Ryan Johnson kind of troll you with it. A little yep. bit like that's where I get frustrated because you get that scene with like the mirror and you see the shadows and then kind of it just converges into her. Like, yeah, yeah. I I honestly think I can say now in hindsight I'm I'm exactly with you. It doesn't really bother me now that her parents are nobody, but like it just it's just the way they go about it. It was almost a case of they're just fucking with the fans to be like, haha, middle finger, fuck you, you were all wrong. That's where I have the problem with it. But I I think the movie here is setting that up. Like, I mean, do you see the same thing that, like, it's not just you could tie this into The Last Jedi, but that it was probably the plan, even from here? Yeah. 
I mean, look, I, I, I think I've talked in previous episodes that we did before. I was never one to buy into any of it. I just, I was just indifferent in the whole thing. Like, I could see different perspectives. I, but I was never an adamant. Like, oh, she's Obi Wan's granddaughter, or like, I was never one of them. So, yeah. Either way, it did. You know, I was frustrated after the Last Jedi with a lot of things, and I just think I kind of that was one of the big two things that and Snoke, where obviously it was kind of like, well, what the fuck was that? Um, but yeah, in hindsight now, I, I feel much better about it, but yeah, I, I think kind of watching this and, you know, being able to analyze it and everything like that. Yeah. It's, it, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure in a couple of months, you know, well, a month, a couple of weeks really, but like in a couple of months time when we've digested the rise of Skywalker, seen it a few times and done this and done that, it should hopefully <laughs> make all the sense in the world. Hopefully yeah. JJ, hopefully you still have a chance to change our minds, JJ. <laughs> Yes, you're listening you got- to this podcast saying, you know what? I better go back and I better do something with that. Let's let's have the arm come back, the the, the severed arm. Yes. <laughs> let's bring that back in the movie. Let's just please them. Yes. All the severed limbs in all the Star Wars movies yes. come back. All of them. As one creature <laughs> yeah. bigger than a Rathtar. The arm neck. Last thing I just wanted to comment on is the whole Vader mask scene. Which, again, yeah, where did he get it from? But I, I like that idea that even if it is very much sort of um, pushed to the background in this as opposed to what it was originally meant to be, the idea of all these artifacts, you know, people being scavengers for these artifacts from the old days. Um, the the most interesting thing here is that the perception that the First Order or Snoke and Kylo Ren have is just like you said, it's not don't I don't want to turn to the dark side. It's like, I don't want to turn to the light side. Also that Vader is a hero to them and that they see Vader was a failure. It's like, oh, Vader made a mistake by turning to the light side. You know, oh, he he if he were here right now, he'd tell you that he made the wrong move. You know, um, And it's kind of an interesting idea that I hope that they go a little bit further with because it's not really a part of Last Jedi at all. And we really have very little time left for being part of the Rise of Skywalker. But it's, it's kind of cool that it's, it, not only are they, you know, sort of more hesitant about turning the, to the light side of the Force, but that they know exactly what happened to Vader, but that they just see, oh, he was tricked, he was deceived by Luke, but he was a real hero. And, the, you know, again, how history has changed. People think that Luke is a myth. People don't know, was Han a smuggler or a warrior hero? And Vader, was he... A failure? Was he duped? Was he a hero? Nobody knows. And we're about to cap it there. We didn't want The Force Awakens to go into two parts, but unfortunately it has. So, um, yeah, awkward. You can skip right now to part two. It's available at the same time as part one. Thanks for listening. Um, Like us on Facebook, all that regular stuff that I'll say at the end of the next part. But... Yeah, I feel like saying it now because I've got to close it off. Uh, Part 2, Force Awakens, Star Wars, our recap, available now. Download it, and we hope you enjoyed Part 1. We'll speak to you in just a few moments. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.